Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again, back with another episode of Fantasy Tavern. It's me again, Marita, a.k.a. Chicky Tita, a.k.a. Tita Cat. I go by many names, many aliases. I have to think of a porn star alias now because we're doing this episode. It was hard for me to think of a few. I have a few. It was hard for me to choose one is what I should say. I'm not going to lie. I've thought about this several times in my life. I think Leona Lyons is the one that I kind of landed on as the one I would pick for the most part. I just think it's hilarious. Kind of references some things about myself. I think that a good porn star name should be a good combination of like serious and completely foolish. So I think that's a good one. So welcome. As you may have noticed, if you're watching the video version of this, I am in a very special outfit, as promised. I don't like to be, you know, wishy-washy with my words and my promises. So I decided to give the people what they want. Obviously, this is not the full outfit from my super sexy Valentine's Day photo shoot, but it's sort of the more censored, appropriate version. I personally am loving this episode not having to wear any pants. Kind of the greatest. And what's also the greatest is that I have a very rare entire day off today. I don't want to say it too loud because then something might happen and I might get called into work or some shit or some, some big disaster might take place and then, then it's ruined. It is the last day of February. Had good intentions of putting the episode out. That didn't happen because I ended up getting busy and then got really tired and needed to rest. And of course, as I mentioned, I do, you know, clean my apartment occasionally. So that's something I really wanted to focus something I really wanted to focus on doing today. And now that everything is done and all is right with the world, I can finally sit down and record this episode. It's also not in the entire full face of makeup that I wore for the photos because, again, it's my day off, and it's the end of the month, and although I really do want to get this recorded, I'm, I'm not trying to do all that. I decided that my skincare was more important today, so I've put on my skincare. I don't really exactly have a skincare routine, so something I'm slowly starting to get into. I kind of think that skincare, I don't really believe in it, but I'm, I also do think it's important to care a little bit use the lotions and potions to keep that shit in check for now. Do have some treats that I'm kind of noshing on over here. There is some leftover chickpea tuna salad thing that I made the other day. So I'm just trying to finish that off. And I've paired that with some lovely cheese bread from the bakery. Because you can't have a salad without some bread. That's just ridiculous. And Phobos is here to try and steal some of this Trito. Hello, my boy. Come and say hello. The sexiest gato. Here for the sexiest episode. Hey, my friend. And this, but this treat is not for you. Okay. There you all got a little, you all got to see my pussy. That's the only way you're going to see it. Um, unless you pay for it. That is leading us into this episode once again, porn stars in pop culture. Before we get started, I would like to give a little shout out. Oh, no. 
I would like to do a little shout out to our drink of the week, which is Moosehead Rattler. I bought these yesterday during quite possibly the worst snowstorm we've had this year. Possibly one of the worst I've seen since I moved to Oakville. I, I don't know why I even still went out yesterday, but had a good time regardless. Felt very productive and managed to buy a couple cans so that I can enjoy these on my nice day off today. Grapefruit Rattler is one of my faves. I find that having cut out drinking, I am now very weird when it comes to deciding what I want to drink. Almost everything seems disgusting to me. I usually go for wine and a mixed drink like a gin and tonic or a vodka soda or a Rattler I can handle usually because it's beer, but it's not exactly beer. It's got fruit in it. I'm just finding that beer and hard liquor, the things that I always used to gravitate towards, I can't stand now. And I'm becoming a lot more of a basic bitch, if you will, in terms of my alcohol tastes. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. These are not bad either. Moosehead makes a pretty decent one. I would highly recommend it. It's just marketed as beer with a twist. And honestly, you can't really taste the beer. It's listed as a malt beverage. Phobos, please. (sighs) This child. I really like that it has low alcohol content, so in keeping with my my idea of staying relatively sober-ish. What's it called? California sober. When you when you still drink occasionally and, and occasionally smoke weed. That's that's and then just in time for the episode, we had a special delivery from my favorite place. They now have in stock shatter. Euphoria Extractions Shattered Chews, which is a brand new edible gummy from Euphoria Extractions. They have normally carried the chocolate bars and the cookies. Now I get to try the gummies. Indica infused, 20 milligrams per piece. Because it's my day off to the moon, Alice! <laughs> we're, trying to get, we're trying to go to outer space today. And, oh, they're pretty big pieces, as you may have guessed. There's a nice big (laughs) 20 on there so that you know exactly what you're getting. Obviously, you know, if you're not used to edibles, just take your time. But I'm going to fuck around and find out. (laughs) Okay, so there's one. Oh, and I also got from the same company. Mm, That's good. I don't know if they're assorted flavors. It doesn't say. It gives a whole bunch of inter- interesting information about the batch and the the percentage levels of the different chemicals, the THC, CBD, CBN, and all the terpenes that you get in here. And they also offer a CBD cookie. So this is THC free. 50 milligrams of lab tested CBD. Cannabidiol chocolate chip cookie. Now I've been getting a little bit more into the CBD products because of my pain issues. And I also don't want to be completely zooted if I have to go out in public. We got the cookie. I also got the other day this really nice one-to-one THC and CBD vape pen that I have, which is really nice to use for pain management. And it's not as heavy as like a full THC cartridge. I'm going to take just a bit little bite of the CBD cookie because I'm still eating my lunch. 
I feel like if I were a porn star, I would need a lot of weed to get myself in the mood. Just like now. <laughs> Thankfully, it's a lot more accepted. So, I also got some more watermelon zoomies. These are mushroom edible gummies. So, they're infused with psilocybin and they are for microdosing. They also have CBD in them as well. So this is really nice if you want to just add a little bit of a razzle-dazzle, the little sparkle and the glitter on top of your cannabis experience. And whether or not you smoke weed, they're just really nice to add like a nice sense of euphoria and relaxation to your mind. So it's really, really good with that. This is a sativa and indica blend. It's got long release formula. So if you just take one and kind of see how you like it before you start eating the whole package. These are not meant to make you trip. These are not meant to get you high. These are for microdosing purposes. So they're they're potent enough that you're going to feel something, but you're not going to start seeing shit and like the colors will not be bright and vivid. Like this is this is just for microdosing. It's full on, man. And I also got a new vape for vape cartridge for my vape, the Platinum OG for Mary J. And then we've got from Kushcraft, the marshmallow hybrid rolls. Steer away from my tendency to only use indica-based products because indica means indicouch. And I got shit to do these days. <laughs> I got to make sure that my dose is appropriate for the situation. I do still require it to a great degree. It's just nice that it's a little bit less of a coping thing in terms of mental health. It's more of a physical aid. So before we start this episode, I wanted to get a good sense of sort of, as, as I usually start these episodes off with, some definitions of what we're going to be talking about. So the first definition, obviously, what is pornography? And... What did pornography used to kind of be considered as and what is it considered as now? So I'm actually going to employ the use of this handy dandy tripod today and not fuck my my hands up. I really got to stop holding my phone in my hand to do shit. It's causing me to have like mad arthritis flare ups and I really need to, to just like put the fucking phone down. So this tripod is helping, but I, every episode I forget to use it. So I'm just going to pop that in here. Probably should have done that be- before the episode started. Uh, just, just look at my tits for a sec until I'm done. Just, hold on. There we go. It's a stupid pop socket on the back. It's not making it stay. There we go. That's better. Perfect. Ah, so much nicer on my wrists. Not the hands. Got the hands-free option here. Okay, so... Basically, pornography is classified as either photographs or video or audio of consenting adults engaging in sexual acts, unsimulated sexual acts, for generally for money, and with the intention of sexually arousing the consumer or the spectator or the the recipient of the pornographic material. What we have to remember is that porn in the sense of commercial porn 
is people performing sex acts on camera or, you know, for photographs or in audio form. Pornography can also be literary. Books can be erotic literature could also be considered pornography if it falls under those other categories, right? Like consenting adults are, are featured in the story. There's explicit descriptions of sex acts. The general goal is to use those in order to make other people who are reading it or watching it sexually aroused, as I said. Pornography in terms of making money, that's just one whole part of it, the porn industry, but we've also which was what we're gonna be discussing mostly today, porn stars. But porn, not pornography can also just be a person by themselves. It can be a person on a webcam or on a certain website. It could be just a person or a couple making that material just for themselves to see or for a select group of people to see, not in a, a broader commercial sense. Somebody could be producing porn because their partner wants them to do it. They could be doing it for money. They could be doing it because they have like an exhibitionist, voyeuristic side of them. There's a lot of different reasons why people engage in pornography and also consume it. So the reasons why a lot of people would would consume pornography is, of course, we mentioned the, the sexual arousal part. Again, some people might do it because of a partner to sort of meet them halfway in terms of having a better sexual experience with them. So there's a lot of different criteria and a lot of different personal and professional reasons why somebody would do pornography or consume it. So getting into the transition from the early days of what porn it was considered, and remember, some people consider pornography to be on par with the like, you know, the oldest profession prostitution. And in the beginning, pornography kind of referred to prostitution as well, and by definition, because a lot of prostitutes, the things that they did were considered pornographic. We call them obviously sex workers now. And there's another issue of sex workers who are then, you know, using those active in-person skills, but they were also getting into things like stripping, escorting, and then eventually explicit photos and then with the dawn of the camera you know erotic films either short films or long films and then of course we have the internet which kind of changed everything in terms of the both the industry of porn and also in terms of how people kind of share it with each other personally so I'll do a brief little history on how pornography came to be seen in the present day and for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to be focusing on North American porn industry. So porn in the beginning, when printing was not readily available to everybody, only people with a lot of money or direct access to a printing press could really have these visual aids. But when the 18th century came around, and printing technology advanced to the point where everybody had access to those sorts of things, then people from all socioeconomic walks of life were then able to enjoy porn. And I feel like there's a certain idea that porn is this very lowbrow thing. It's, it has, obviously, the, the perception of it has changed over centuries, but that's sort of how it became a 
a popular thing was that with the Industrial Revolution, the Age of Enlightenment, so both the increase of different kinds of technology plus changing social mores, that's what's causing pornography to become more mainstream and widespread. It's something that has its roots both in painting as well and sculpture. So back when erotic art wasn't really a thing that was mainstream, we still had a lot of that representation in the form of nudes of both men and women, where people are treating it as art. But let's be real, I have a feeling that quite a few people were just using that as an excuse to see dicks and titties and get around it by saying that it was art. Same with the Bible. There's actually depictions of pornography and sex acts in the Bible and in different scriptures. It's something that a lot of artists then used things that tied in with the Bible and also made them sexual so that they could get away with, oh, well, but this is this is talking about something that happened in, in scripture and it's artistic. It's a realistic depiction of what happened. It's not porn. So that became a whole sort of issue of where, when, when does art become pornography? Is it, is it how you view it? But as we've, as we already talked about that, in that case, it wouldn't really be considered art. It would be considered art if it wasn't depicting a sexual act. So it would only be considered porn if sexual acts were pictured. So we see a lot of this on Greek and Roman frescoes and sculptures, like pots and things like that, wall paintings there are actually very specific and very explicit sex depictions on a lot of these, often depicting group sex, sex from behind, gay sex between men. So there's a lot of different historical proof that shows pornography. It didn't just show up yesterday. It's been around for a very long time and it's been fairly prominent in and out, in and out, (laughs) fairly prominent throughout history. I'm going to try and be mature for this episode, but absolutely no promises. We have it mostly in the form of art, but we're not really seeing actual real people having unsimulated sex acts yet. So, of course, that's coming back into from the 18th century till now is when that started happening. This appeared everywhere in the form of photographs, postcards, playing cards, and then your fallout pinups. Obviously, because of the society was still fairly conservative, so a lot of people are not going to be super out in the open about liking porn or admitting to engaging in it or selling it or buying it. So there was a very underground market for this sort of thing. There was this book called Fanny Hill by John Cleland, which was very popular in the mid-1700s. We also have erotic graphic art. The French pioneered this, and that's where you kind of see... the They, they became known as the French postcard, so it was a postcard that was very specifically sexual in nature. It was also a huge... It became a huge mode of protest for people, especially with women wanting to get more agency and more respect in terms of their sexual freedom and agency. That was a big opportunity for exploring ideas that 
the state, which was very much influenced by the church, and still is to a great degree. I mean, we're having these conversations once again in 2023 about a lot of this stuff, about what constitutes as, as sexualized and pornographic with a lot of conservative politicians. But it was even a thing back then. And different performers and workers, artists of all kinds, were would use it as a form of social protest. A lot of pornography focused on, as we mentioned, uh, a lot of people consider it to be this like lowbrow, trashy thing. But the kinkiest, freakiest, weirdest, most deviant sexual people were the were the aristocrats, were the bourgeoisie, and a lot of pornography tended to emphasize that that it was the rich and the and the powerful that were engaging in all this weird freaky sex shit so the, it was the very elites of Europe a lot of the times who were condemning the lack of morals and condemning pornography when they were engaging in it and consuming it it was very a very hypocritical thing that they wanted to shed light on of course the marquis de sade with books like Justine, different plays and, and books like that, as well as just the way they live their life personally. And this came out in the late 1700s. Again, we're going to experience in the 19th century another wave of social change. But And, and now the Marquis de Sade, a lot of people may not you know vibe with his sexual descriptions. A lot of them can be very... That's where we get the term sadism from, a form of sexual gratification where a person derives sexual pleasure from a power play with somebody, often in a very, you know, aggressive and violent sense. So that person is like, is inflicting humiliating, degrading, and violent potentially acts on somebody in order to get sexual pleasure. Ideally, there's, of course, a consensual agreement between the sadist and all the masochist, who is the person who is getting the sexual pleasure from being humiliated, degraded, and and having pain inflicted on them. So, but anyway, I just wanted to explain that. Another def- yet another definition that comes out of history in terms of porn and sexual preferences. Justine was not just a, a pornographic book, but it was also trying to attack the ideas of, of ownership and property and the traditional kind of strata of society this sort of catapulted the pornography game out of the black market underground and it became a little bit more front and center in society so then we fast forward in england to queen victoria who was known to be quite the slut very thirsty huge sexual appetite with her cousin i'm pretty sure which is gross but anyway I'm including it in the conversation. It happened. But in her, when she was on the throne, at time of her coronation, there was about 50 pornographic shops on the London Booksellers Row. And this was basically, it focused a lot on the taboos of the time. And so Victorian culture is depicted a lot Um, It does play a lot on that whole sadism, masochism thing and like wanting to be dominated. And this also came out of a a society that still dealt with things in a very corporal, physically punishable way. 
like in schools and churches and things like that. And like in terms of prison and, and shit like that. And then this became a kink for a lot of people back then. So it's weird that like the very things that were kind of problematic in society, people then fetishized those things. In the late 1800s, there were a couple books and periodicals that kind of came about in this time. So one was called My Secret Life. This was about an Englishman's pursuit of sexual pleasure. And then the other one was a sort of newspaper magazine called The Pearl, which focused primarily on what was then termed to be offensive content. A lot of that was sexual in the form of jokes, poems, songs, short stories, things like that. There was just people who were wanting to go against the very prudish and reserved nature of Victorian society. And often the the most hypocritical, the, the most two-sided of that sort of double life that people felt that they had to leave were the aristocracy. Once again, a perfect way for this magazine to kind of be subversive. So from the very beginning, porn was a very subversive option. It wasn't just sex for sex's sake. It also played a very important role in advancing sexual freedom and getting more respect for women under a patriarchy, people under a puritanical Christian society, things like that. Hello, my boy. Hello, my sweet boy. Maybe I will give you a fish if you're good. So now we've got in the 19th century... We're starting to see more advancements in photography and motion pictures. Pretty much as soon as it was capable of happening, porn on film existed. Because we're all dirty little fucks. We all want to see that shit and have it forever. So as soon as we got the opportunity, we put that on the reel. We got that shit in the dark room. We got it developed. And now we've got forever porn. The 19, from basically from the 1920s to the 1960s, there was a, again, mostly underground, but uh, not as underground as you would think, industry for erotic material. In the 1970, early 1970s, 1970s to the 1980s is what people would refer to as the golden age of porn. I'm actually was watching this really interesting show. It's a pretty good show. It's called The Deuce. And it's about the lives of hustlers and pimps and sex workers, people in the porn industry and adult industry looking for, just kind of looking for success, I guess you could say. So it starts off showing a lot of people and, you know, kind of the rough and tumble streets of 1970s New York. They're doing whatever they can to get by. And then all of a sudden, this new opportunity of porn presents itself and it gives everybody a chance to kind of get out of the really get out of the shitty life that they've been living but also truly have some more autonomy and independence especially for the women sex workers in the situation and provide a little bit more of a relaxation of the uptight social social expectations um so in this obviously in the late 60s early 70s those were already starting to relax around that time there's a lot of social unrest a lot of protests were going on 
the women's lib movement, Vietnam, the civil rights movement, like segregation was just ending in a lot of places. And, you know, like, this has got opportunity for um, doors opening all over it. It stars James Franco, I know, a little problematic, Mr. Franco. It's actually based on the story of two twins, and he plays the two twins. These twins, I, I haven't finished watching the show, but basically it's like they provide the venue, one of the venues for like the porn actors to hang out. Oh, it starts as the venue for the pimps and the hookers and the drug dealers to hang out and stuff, as well as a lot of cops. Cops, you know, do feature very prominently in this as an antagonist to the business of the prostitutes, I'm just sort of as like a very, you know, sinister, goes out of their way to shit on people kind of guy. A student from MIT kind of gets ra- wrapped up in this whole situation as well, because it just so happens she goes with her friends to on a drug run one night in the wrong part of town, and the police happen to be watching that night, and then from there she kind of gets brought into this world. Maggie Gyllenhaal is also in it, and she's fucking fantastic. Candy, greatest to do it. Best hooker of all time. She'll show you what's good. Hooker with a heart of gold. We love to see it. But basically, this is how a lot of people started getting into porn. So they started as sex workers on the street with pimps. Or, in Candy's case, she does it by herself. Because she's a strong, independent... White women who don't need no man. And um, the show does touch a lot on the racism of the time, even the internalized racism of the industry. Because, like, even the black pimps are very hesitant to hire too many black workers because they're worried they'll scare off the white customers. Partly because of racism, but also they, they joke that, like, they just won't be able to handle a woman like that. But it's also a lot of it is they, they would rather protect that clientele that they that they know has more money. And, like, there's a scene where a bunch of high school kids pull up and try to pick somebody up for, like, their friend's birthday to lose their virginity. They want the skinny white chick. The, the show is obviously incorporating some of the different social justices and important issues of the day. So... What happens in the show is very interesting. And again, we talked about consensual. There's one worker who let a client film her. They, Unbeknownst to them, they had copies of this video made and gave them to both a local sex shop, you know, like nowadays a shop that sells erotic books and, and, and back then like eight tracks and, you know, videos that, were were, barely, were even on, a, like, just a projector reel, or they were, like, these weird, like, cartridge thingies. So she has to go, after she hears this rumor, to this CD sex shop and buy the last copies from this guy so that, because basically she's, like, she doesn't care that people are seeing her fuck. It's that she's not making any extra money off it. She's, like, all these people are seeing me, and I'm not making a dime. And that's what Candy and a couple of the other girls warn some of the other workers against when they're starting to talk about, oh, well, I heard that you can make a lot of money doing these photo shoots 
and doing these little short movies and stuff. And these guys will give you a lot of money. And it's like, yeah, but there's a lot of guys who will do that for you for free. And so they're paying you once and then they're going to put your shit in every single magazine and it's going to end up in every single porn cinema in the whole country and you only got paid once and those guys and those all those places are making money over and over again every time they show the movie or or sell the the photographs so a lot of them are are very smart from the beginning they're like that's absolutely fucking stupid why would i ever do that especially without signing a contract and that's why like people that were getting into the porn industry they weren't stupid they were already very street smart they had already been in the game for several years with or without representation in the form of a pimp or a madam or some kind of agency. And they already kind of knew exactly because a lot of them had already done these things with clients or they'd done little things on the side here and there. They kind of already knew what to do on camera. And so all these things kind of just came together to become extremely profitable. And in the 1970s and 80s, again, as um, most people would be seeing these movies in theaters, like in person, people are going to see these movies or they're getting in the very few people that had availability to have film and tapes and stuff in their home would be shelling out very big bucks for these things. But people are going to buy them because once you have it, you have it forever and you can watch it over and over and over again. So, of course, one of the most famous movies to come about in the 70s (laughs) to come about... I'm surprised I'm not making more jokes about this. The, one of the more famous movies was a little movie called Deep Throat. There really was nothing little about it, honestly. A deep throat, the actual definition of a deep throat is somebody who, if they're like somebody who's like a whistleblower or like a narc kind of, they're going undercover to like get information to provide to another source. Kind of like a double agent sort of. Another way to say that back then was that they were called deep throat so that's why with the whole nixon with watergate and shit that's why they use the term deep throat now i tried to figure out if if one had something to do with the other and i really couldn't find any definitive answer on that because i just thought it was so funny that this whole thing with with nixon was called deep throat and meanwhile there was like a porn called the exact same thing that has like oh shit i got Tuna chickpea in my titty. There we go. I was trying to figure out, like, if one referenced, one influenced the naming of the other. It was kind of difficult. I don't think so. Yeah, so the, the full definition. A person who anonymously supplies information about covert or illegal actions in the organization where they work. That's what a deep throat is. The movie Deep Throat, famously starring Linda Lovelace, one of the early porn stars paved the way for several other movies in its wake and just like a glorification of the porn industry in a way that had never really been expected before. It certainly helped to make porn a lot more accessible to people and a lot more approachable. It provided a a big career change and a very successful career move for a lot of the people who worked the streets and worked the strip clubs and did escorting. Obviously, there was a big issue with drugs in the porn scene. And throughout the 1970s and 80s, we started hearing about a lot of horror stories in terms of people having overdoses 
from cocaine and heroin, people getting AIDS and other sexually transmitted diseases. The Wonderland murders were another huge part of that era that a lot of people forget about with John Holmes. So John Holmes, a male porn star, he was the inspiration for the film Boogie Nights, which is one of my favorite movies. And I I remember when Boogie Nights came out, it was one of those movies that came out at an age where I should not have been watching the movie Boogie Nights. It's it's weird. Yeah, it, it doesn't really... And, and the person who was the Deep Throat hated the nickname, by the way, which I thought when I found that out was quite, quite funny. And Linda Lovelace, which uh, the 50th anniversary of that movie, Deep Throat, was just last year. And Linda Lovelace apparently is very anti-porn now and has spoken out about her roles and said that she was coerced into them. So there is a bit of some controversy when it comes to that. Deep Throat came out in 1972, the forefront of the golden age of porn, which was basically from like 1970 to the mid 80s. Linda Lovelace was, of course, a pseudonym. Basically, the the plot of the movie, if you give a shit about the plot of a porn movie, Linda Lovelace, who is very sexually frustrated and has never had an orgasm, asks her friend for advice. For everything from a sex party to going to a psychiatrist, and then finally the doctor. So then they find out that that her clit is located in her throat. And the only way to get an orgasm is for her to give blowjobs. Obviously a man wrote this. (laughs) Fucking shit. (laughs) It's like so fucking silly. And so she can, she gets a job as a therapist doing deep throat oral techniques on various men. And then she finds one that she wants to marry in the end, and all the time the doctor is also writing all of this down for for science, and he's also getting fucked. Everybody's getting fucked, getting blowjobs, giving blowjobs. She was Linda Lovelace, the original throat goat. (laughs) And then, of course, the movie ends with the iconic line, the end and deep throat to you all. (laughs) Um, uh, Also features famous porn actors such as Harry Reams, Carol Connors, and Gerard Damiano, billed as Al Gork. <laughs> of course, there were some controversies, as I said. She had initially said that it was a very liberating experience and she was totally on board with it, but then talked about there was uh, issues of sexual assault, which I, I assume back in the day, there was probably a lot of sexual harassment and assault going on on porn sets because there was literally no Me Too and there was drugs were rampant and it was extremely patriarchal and, and misogynistic still back in those days. So I, I can completely understand that that was the case. But she then also said that there was a lot of forced prostitution within the porn business and that there were a lot of things that she didn't consent to that were filmed. She was also then uh, married to an abusive uh, for a fellow actor. I guess, like, producer-director in the porn industry, Chuck Trainer, that didn't help. So she basically said almost every time she's performed on camera, it was not fully consensual. So if you watch any of her movies, you're basically watching essentially rape. 
So she wanted to let people know that. And, and, at, and at certain times, there literally was a gun to her head to perform the scenes. Because back then, there, was, there wasn't as much of a... So maybe in the beginning, when she said it was all good, maybe she was just too scared to admit that it, was, it had gone bad for her. Uh, maybe she didn't realize at the time all the trauma that she had experienced. But yeah, it is a little strange that she would like say all that shit in the beginning and then come out and say all this other stuff. But now there are people who... like said the whole gun thing wasn't true but there obviously were people who said yes he was extremely controlling he did hit her you can see in the documentary that they did inside deep throat that she has visible bruises on her body this is an allegation cited in the uk government's rapid evidence assessment on the evidence of harm to adults relating to exposure to extreme pornographic material this was in the wake of them deciding whether they were going to legislate more partially against uh, possession of certain types of pornography. So that's one of the different controversies, along with certain copyright things. This was obviously referenced in pop culture quite a bit. As I mentioned, Boogie Nights, which... Let's see here. I'm going to jump to... Even though Boogie Nights didn't come out in the 70s, it is a 70s reference. So I'm just going to speak to that because that was a very big pop culture reference that we talk about when we talk about porn and pop culture there's also a very famous song called boogie nights by the band heatwave um if you ever want to check it out i just think 70s porn porn porn-esque music is just amazing that like very prominent bass line just like real smooth and funky with it just like There, that's all I'm going to play for you because I don't want to get, I don't want to get copyright infringed on. But uh, that's that's what I'm talking about. That kind of that kind of vibe. Boogie Nights had a an amazing soundtrack. That's what I remember more about what I remembered more about the movie the first time around was I was allowed to listen to the soundtrack, but I wasn't allowed to watch the movie. And I remember that on the soundtrack there was this one song. It wasn't even a song. It was just literally like somebody having sex noises. Basically, Mark Wahlberg gets discovered by a porn director as a teenager in the late 70s. He gets renamed and he gets brought into the uh, the porn inner circle with all these famous actors, as happened to a lot of actors in that era. And what happens to, a lot, to several actors is still in this day when it comes to porn is that a combination of drugs and hubris kind of leads to his downfall and just you know like a combination of of age and uh, working too much staying up too late partying too much doing too much coke drinking too much fucking around with too many people and just getting too full of yourself it led it was just like all it was just a clusterfuck it just turned into the complete destroy it completely destroyed this this guy as a human being. Boogie Nights was very famous for its inclusion of a full frontal male nude scene very briefly at the very end. A mockumentary, if you will. It's based on real people, but it's not it's not a biopic. So so it's and it's sort of done in a documentary sort of style but it is also like a movie 
this movie came out in 1997. At the end, Dirk gets into prostitution because he's so desperate for money. Then he tries to, like, do a drug scam. And then this is the, the Wonderland reference is that there's like a shootout and and people get killed and Mark Wahlberg's character and John C. Reilly's character escape at the end of the movie they're trying to keep filming but a lot of it's kind of it's never going to be the same like he's kind of ruined his body and it's just never going to be the same performance as it was in the beginning the music there's a, there was also a second soundtrack that was released, Boogie Nights 2, more music from the original motion picture, with people such as Marvin Gaye, Rick Springfield, Al McKay, The Emotions, The Commodores, Night Ranger, ELO, The Beach Boys, Three Dog Night, Hot Chocolate, that's very the I think one of the most famous songs, "You Sexy Thing" from "You Sexy Thing." I think that it's a a pretty interesting depiction of the whole porn thing because I think that it it's good at, at showing fairly realistically kind of the ups and downs of it and the real actual like the real story of what actually kind of happened and how it sort of came to be. And Paul Thomas Anderson makes some pretty good movies. I just think aesthetically as well, he's a very good actor in doing 70s period movies, it seems. So really good way to sort of use that outlet as something that you are good at portraying. And then kind of talk about the sort of taboo side of society within that era of the adult industry. And we're going to skip to the 80s now. So the 70s porn is also characterized by people's abundance of body hair in certain areas that became very gauche in the 80s and onwards. So it's very known that 70s actors, you know, the dudes have the porn stash and all the actors have, men and women have, you know, the very prominent armpit and pubic hair and chest hair and everything. That was sort of, I guess, in keeping with maybe certain shaving and waxing. Things weren't up to par yet. But it also just wasn't like a, a social faux pas like it is now. Like people just had normal body hair. I mean, back then everyone smoked and everything. And I don't know how, how much you know, regular showering they were doing or using of protection. I bet it smelled gross. I bet it smelled absolutely awful. But, I mean, at least you didn't have to worry about people giving a shit about if you had a little bit of extra body hair. Like, literally no one cared cared back then. So that was great. So, porn in the 80s is when we start to see, remember the late 80s, but we're going to start seeing a little bit more of gay porn coming into prominence. We're seeing people with, like, bigger hair for the women, a lot more makeup. And for both men and women, where we once saw all that body hair, we now have almost little to no body hair. Tanning became a a big thing. Being a bit more on the muscular side started to come a bit more into trend. People started doing shit like bleaching their assholes because as the 80s progressed, anal became 
more of a desirable porn act. The aesthetic was very much like smoky, blurry, glamour shot-esque. With like the high cut undies for the ladies. And and honestly, sometimes even for the guys. Like the guys were rocking the banana hammock still in the 80s. When we talk about the golden age of porn or, or porno chic, it really didn't last very long. It was like a 15 year period. But it's very notable because this this was influenced a lot of well, people don't really realize, but it was influenced a lot by what was going on in Europe. Because things were happening in Europe and had been happening so long there that people were starting to be able to do porn and, and consume it without so much backlash from society or from, from like, you know, legal repercussions. So with, they had legalization in, of pornography in the 70s in places like Denmark. Um, a lot of people don't realize this as well, but there was a movie called Blue Movie that was directed by Andy Warhol. This movie showed... They were, like, considered, along with others, a few other films to be one of the first erotic films depicting unsimulated sex acts. And they also got wide theatrical release in the U.S. Then what followed was Deep Throat with Linda Lovelace, Behind the Green Door with Marilyn Chambers, The Devil and Miss Jones, The Opening of Misty Beethoven, Blue Movie was apparently a major influence in the movie The Last Tango in Paris. Now, while this was not a porn, it was extremely controversial erotic drama. Marlon Brando was in it. There's a very popular scene where he says, Pass the butter. If you know, you know. There were that like Deep Throat was so popular that it was getting mentioned on late night talk shows like Johnny Carson and Bob Hope. So you know that that shit was fire. And then you know that like society has progressed to the point where it's like, yes, we're going to acknowledge that porn exists and we're going to talk about it openly, whether you like it or not. The fact that Deep Throat had such huge box office success as well, I guess it sort of implies that like it's something people had been waiting for for a really long time in terms of of, you know, looking for something that's going to be sexually gratifying and something you can just go down to the local theater to watch. The fact that porn was being publicly discussed by critics and celebrities was just like this crazy phenomenon. Porno chic was actually coined by the journalist that wrote for the New York Times. Porno chic was like the aesthetic of the porn starlet for women and kind of like the sort of macho stud guy for men sort of embodying that whole lifestyle of like open sexual activity usually accompanied by a lot of alcohol and and coke and so possibly weed there was a whole thing that hollywood got a little nervous because they didn't want competition from the porn industry in terms of box office sales they also were concerned that hollywood was then going to be influenced by this pornography and that would like somehow degrade the quality of the films so that's very interesting that, like, and, and, like, just prior to this happening, there were, like, all these laws that were changing because of uh, all these anti-obscenity laws. And, and as I mentioned, places that outlawed pornography, distribution, creation, or consumption, freedom for creative license, higher movie budgets and payouts, and a Hollywood mindset 
all contributed to this golden age of pornography. And it got to a point where it was actually threatening the real, the real, the, the Hollywood film industry. What is real anymore? However, like we have to remember at this time, also, you know, people were still very much physically going to see these movies in theaters where now when the eighties came, this is another thing that changed in the eighties. We now have better, more accessible and convenient home movie options for people. So we now have VHS, we now have Betamax, we got that laser disc. And so video is now supplanting uh, instead of the theater. And now the golden age is kind of ending. Porno chic, it, it was still prominent in the mainstream. I would say that the late 90s, early 2000s was another like mini golden age of porn. And then I feel like we're sort of kind of entering a third one now. But it kind of became a thing where it became a little bit trashy again. And then it took certain things that happened again in like sort of Y2K around that time to kind of bring that, bring it out of that again. And, and you have to remember again, like the, the with video, with, with the, and also you can get things to video very quickly instead of having to put it in a theater first. So you don't have to worry about have it making it be like, this huge big budget endeavor, you have to, oh, it's like I'm making like the dick sucking motion. I was trying to get something out of my teeth. Subconsciously thinking about, subconsciously thinking of deep throat. But yeah, so that's why it was kind of, it ended the golden age because the movies then became low budget again. While there was still a certain degree of tastefulness in the way that they, the, the, sex was portrayed the 80s then became a bit more of like the raunchy sort of thing then uh, mentioning the gay sex as well in the 70s again it sort of it popped off a little bit more in the 80s but just a last little reference because i wanted to have representation for the gay porn industry as well as the you know hetero and have like lgbt representation as well we have also in 1971 boys in the sand which was released and opened in theaters. It was featuring explicit all-male sex scenes. There was actually a movie called The Boys in the Band, a play that was a gay-themed, and it was sort of like a parodic, sort of like satirical movie referencing that. And then going back to the whole fear that Hollywood had of porn becoming in competition with their movie industry, all of these laws that were kind of getting better, there were major laws that at the same time were getting put into place. So obscenity was redefined. With the redefinition, it also said that anything that that falls within that definition, the authorities have the right to destroy it or confiscate it. So all these different porn films were getting seized and destroyed and all these different porn films were getting prosecuted. So all the big porn films were successfully prosecuted in 1973. That was like the beginning of people fighting, trying to get porn banned outright. But there was like that, because of that ruling, there was a huge repeal of porn featuring in mainstream Hollywood. And that basically, it's kind of just stayed that way until the nineties with the emergence of the internet and also, again, like another changing in social norms with more modern times that came about in the, you know, Y2K and beyond era. 
1973 and a little bit more in the background of what was going on, there was still a fetishization and kind of a making it popular to be a porn star. And there are other things like different magazines and stuff like Playboy that were sort of making it more open to discuss these things. With the whole feminist movement, there's been a huge back and forth on porn since that time, with some people claiming that it is uh, completely degrading and it's, it's chauvinistic and it's harmful to women. And then other people who say that, you know, as long as certain laws and regulations and, and expectations for behavior from everybody are put in place, then it shouldn't be something that's a harmful thing for women. And it can, in fact, be very liberating if, if approached in the correct way. And then not just in terms of sexual safety, but in terms of, of you know, business, in terms of fairness and equity of pay and, you know, just general treatment, like in terms of that sort of thing. And I think that a lot of porn actors were ahead of their time in that respect. The idea of doing parodies of porn based on already existing movies and TV shows, that's not new. That started happening in the 70s. This cat. Hello, cat. You have returned. You are very cute. Look at this boy. Ready for my scene. <laughs> What's going on back there, buddy? Hey. Oh, you're so foolish. Hey, cat. So, yeah, feminist criticism. It's, again, the, the second wave of feminism at this point is starting to come out. So, again, so certain people, like Camille Paglia, is very, like, sex positive and pro-porn. Again, if it's done the right way. There are a lot of things that people can explore in porn in terms of their sexuality, establishing consent, determining, you know, what it is you want in terms of a fulfilling career. So endorsement of female critics was very crucial to the whole porno chic thing. And, and sort of, again, that, that era with women becoming more sexually liberated made it a little bit more credible if porn stars were doing it. It sort of showed that not only can people be very sexually free and open on a very large scale, but that they can also get financially compensated for it in a relatively good environment. Like that's something that a lot of people aspire to. And then I might take a little break and then come back and do the latter half of the porn industry. This is where you'll see a little bit more, not only uh, parodies and references to porn, but you're actually seeing crossovers of actors appearing in mainstream film, not just mainstream film referencing porn or pulling themes from that industry and like them playing off of each other. We actually have instances of porn stars becoming so famous that they're now being offered roles outside of the adult industry. And like people are tapping them to be in all these different Music videos, movies, TV shows, and even doing voiceovers for stuff like adult cartoons, video games, stuff like that. Oh, we have a, another article here. So porn stars of the 1970s and 80s. We've got, of course, Debbie Does Dallas, where VHS is launching pornography into a multi-million dollar business. We see films like Debbie Does Dallas. We're seeing actors like Ron Jeremy 
So basically, he was a former... So again, Ron Jeremy's been cancelled now, just in case you didn't know. Ron Jeremy is apparently a huge piece of shit now. And, like, went to court for, like, rape and assault and shit. We're gonna mention him. Because he was, again, one of the... One of the big ones. (laughs) That he was. Mr. Hedgehog. Ron Jeremy. Ronald. He was a former special education teacher. He had a girlfriend send naked pictures of him to Playgirl. And then he started modeling there. And for it wasn't long then before he got some offers to be in the adult film industry. He did because he thought it would help him break into the non-adult film industry. Which at a certain period in the history of porn would not have been a thing. But... As we've seen, Ron Jeremy ended up in so much other shit, became bigger than a household name, very recognizable, and he still directs, he was directing porn up until his sort of complete nosedive and legal issues. This was as of what year? In 2015. So as of that year, Ron Jeremy held the Guinness World Record for most appearances in adult films with more than 2,000. He appeared in the Boondock Saints. I remember him being in that LMFAO music video. So, yeah, if, when, you, when you talk about porn, basically one of the first people you think of is Ron Jeremy. And it's a little sad that he kind of came to that end. Harry Reams. He also became a devout Christian after doing porn. He died of cancer in 2013. Holmes famously told Penthouse he had his member insured by Lloyds of London for $14 million, seven figures per inch. It's really funny because I just heard about this porn star, Kieran Lee, who apparently has his dick insured for like millions of dollars. So apparently that's a real thing. Like you can get your dick and your pussy insured for money. You hear this about celebrities too, how they have their bodies insured for like certain amounts of money. So apparently you can do just for certain body parts and the dick is one of them. Yeah, so again, um, his alleged involvement in the still unsolved Wonderland murders of 1981. There was also a 2003 movie called Wonderland that references, that was all about this, basically like kind of a biopic, based on the information that we do have about what happened. He was diagnosed with uh, HIV and died from complications in, in 1984. And he actually is kind of a piece of shit too, because he filmed after having a positive diagnosis and didn't didn't disclose his condition. So kind of a dick. Literal and figurative dick. Oh, we have Nina Hartley. So Nina Hartley is again one of like the biggest names in porn. She's been doing porn since uh, 1982, 1983-ish. And she is also in Boogie Nights, I forgot. She plays William H. Macy's cheating wife in Boogie Nights. She has not only stayed active in porn, she has a huge academic education background, and she also does a lot of instructional videos. She works with her husband, as you saw with Boogie Nights. She's she's also appeared in other, a few other prominent mainstream things. Nina Hartley's mommy is what I'm trying to say here. She wanted to change, especially in terms of uh, an educator. Uh, She also is a social activist. 
she's trying to sort of change the idea that sex is just something that like women have done to them and porn is just like an extension of that she really feels like you should get into the industry because you really like to fuck and you should get into it for the right reasons you should not solely get into it because you want money and you shouldn't get into it if your heart's not completely in it which i think is good advice I mean, not easy for people to kind of make that choice in certain situations. But, like, if you do have the option, I think that's good advice. You really should think about it before you do it. So we've got Marilyn Chambers as well. Something you may be noticing already with the roster of porn actors that I'm mentioning is that all of them that I've mentioned so far are white. I will be touching on that touching on that found out in the course of researching this that Pornhub has a podcast hosted by Asa Akira and she recently had Kira Noir on the show and they're talking about how she recently Kira Noir recently won performer of the year at the AVN awards they're talking about how while it was great to win and everything you do, like, you are thinking about the fact, like, why did this take so long? Like, why do no black porn actors ever win awards? And why do they never win the, the prominent ones? But that's, that's also an issue in Hollywood, too. Something that we're still talking about and kind of addressing to this day. Because for many years, actors of color were excluded from the whole process of the film industry altogether, but then also excluded from the awards shows, like either physically through segregation, you know, just in being shunned from certain roles, certain opportunities within the industry. Rules aren't written for you. People aren't looking for someone that looks like anything other than white or like the color of a paper bag. And you've got then a whole, like, in a little pocket of your actors that you choose from. And then what are the roles that you have? The roles are very limited. And in porn, in the, in the late 80s and 90s on, we, we really saw this a lot where any other ethnicity besides white that's featured in porn is going to have some kind of ethnic fetish included in like the name of the porn or as like the theme of the porn so for black actors it's all centering on like the ass using derogatory terms in the titles of the pornos and stuff like that there there's all these like different things about asian porn stars (coughs) using very (coughs) offensive terminology in terms of like what they're naming the videos based on the aesthetic of what People wanted, I think, based on how people are socialized and also just, like, because of internalized racism and just, like, systemic societal expression of racism. That's why we're not seeing a lot of Black actors in porn and then we're also not seeing them get the the recognition that they deserve. So I'm going to talk about that in in a separate part of this. Finishing out the 80s here, we've got Marilyn Chambers, 
speaking of black actors, this was behind the green door. Many consider that to be the first adult film to feature an interracial sex scene. Resurrection of Eve was a follow-up to be, for her to be a big name in the industry. She ended up getting, in 1985, arrested while performing a one-woman full-frontal nudity show called Field of Magic at Mitchell Brothers O'Farrell Theater, which was the same theater that, that Nina Hartley started stripping at. And then, of course, Tracy Lords. So Tracy Lords appeared only for two years in the industry. But she left quite the impact. She was making $1,000 a day. Changed both the porn industry and Hollywood forever. Because she ended up appearing in a whole bunch of different mainstream roles after her porn career. And wrote a best-selling book. And recorded an album. which Which has a certified double platinum single control on it. And basically, in the two years that she was filming, she was under the age of 18. Because of that, a lot of different things happened that got put in place in the industry and ended up changing the industry, probably for the better. Uh, But it was a huge scandal, huge controversy that changed the film industry forever. And... All of her work was then considered child porn. So, yeah. But I'm going to go listen to that control. That sounds like a bop. Listen to that later. We've got, let's see, who else? Buck Adams, who is the brother of Amber Lynn. So that's a little weird that, like, someone would introduce their brother into porn. It's a little odd. And they were they managed to keep the fact that they were brother and sister a secret until they were booked to work together on the same film. And then they were like, yeah, you know what? No. And this is why. He he is also passed away from heart failure. So yeah, uh, Peter North is another big one. He was in gay porn. The North Pole series of films are North's most notable works. Of course they are. Oh my god. Oh my fucking god. He named himself Peter North because your your dick is called your also called your Peter, and it points north. <laughs> and also, he is from the north. I'm fucking dead. So yeah, he started in gay porn, and then he switched to straight porn, and then he started directing. So you know, he's doing it all. He's screwing it all. I think we. I think I love Peter North. He has his own company, North Star Associates. He has written several books, including Penetrating Insights, A Guide to Meeting and Dating Beautiful Women. Okay, that's a little cringe. That might be a red flag. It is also available on Amazon. Well, at the time, this was written for the large sum of $194.99. And yet another red flag. I mean, maybe that's a no on, on Peter North. Um, oh, here's Amber Lynn, Buck Adams' sister. Began as a model, transitioned to posing nude for magazines, then became a porn star. She was actually very well known for her stripping career as well as her porn acting. Then uh, she got addicted to crack, as you do in the 80s. Then it took a hold of her life for nearly two decades, and she is now sober and has her own radio show. Good for you, Amberlynn. That is good news. 
Then there's Ginger Lynn, not to be confused with Amber Lynn. And Ginger Lynn, the first woman to film a scene with Peter North, and she did a spread in Penthouse in 1983. Then she went to adult films. She became, like, the most recognizable name in the adult industry. She testified in the Tracy Lord's underage porn trial. She still appears occasionally in porn. She was in movies like American Pie Bandcamp, Young Guns 2, The Devil's Rejects. Oh, and she, yeah, she famously dated Charlie Sheen in the 90s. We'll talk a little bit more about the romantic lives of porn stars and athletes, rappers, and movie stars a little bit later as well. Then we've got, who else we got on this list? Oh yeah, Sika, or Seika, I'm not sure how you just pronounce it. So she actually was the owner of multiple adult stores. Then she appeared in like 200 films. She took a break because of the AIDS epidemic. She was dating an a active member of SNL at one time. She was on Oprah, and she back in 2007 released her first adult film in more than a decade so she she's had a like a sort of on all over the place career oh and then of course we have bambi woods i mentioned debbie does dallas earlier so debbie does dallas she was in basically because of personal financial issues and didn't didn't think she was going to make that much money off of it but then it, it blew up and then she appeared in two other X-rated movies, and they were both sequels to that movie. Other than that, she kind of disappeared in the mid-80s, and that she's kind of just off living a normal life now. Nothing really that uh, eventful about Bambi Woods. She did those movies. I guess that's it for that list. Yeah, it is. Okay, so those are some of the more notable 80s porn stars. Let's take a quick break because my back is hurting, and I want to take a little walk around and drink some of my drink and get some more food and finish smoking this joint that went out. A lot of things are happening. Porns are porning. So yeah, I'm going to just, I'll, I'll be right back, guys. One second. No, I should type in to make it easier. I would basically separate the porn world into the pre-internet and post-internet. That's what we're that's what we're making a distinction between because like everything post internet made porn and our consumption and distribution of it just so so different. So we've now got like the mixture of the old school way of doing the video shoots and the filming and then we've got the new school with it all being on the internet and everything like that. So we'll take a short break. I'm going to go feed the Kato and then plug in my computer as well because I'm pretty sure it's going to die. Everything happening at once. Everything everywhere all at once. This is not anything about what I asked. Maybe this article. I'll keep it there. Anyway, let me grab my charger. Hi, sweet boy. Look at you live here on the bed. Hello, buddy. Hold that to yourself, huh? Yeah, but you hold it to yourself. Just don't hold it. Because you're so cute. 
Look at this baby. Hey, baby. It has a toast. <laughs> I, I might be a little bit stout. <laughs> oh. Hmm. We're back. I found this article called How the Internet Killed Porn. So basically it's saying here for years, the industry was dominated by an anything-goes attitude to sex, who could stage outrageous stunts and pushing people to the limit. So a few things happened with the whole internet with porn. So the arrival of sites like Pornhub and stuff like that meant that people could download scenes from it, every single backlog of content that every actor has essentially for free the, then there became the phenomenon of DIY style or like amateur style porn so couples you know putting home movies out there or home movies accidentally getting out into on sites and then we also have people like starting to do camming and also distributing solo stuff and, and videos of themselves in a semi-professional way, but just from their home. But like the whole cam girl camming thing became a very popular method of communication. Suddenly, there was like became what was known as the oversaturation of the porn industry. That sort of ha started happening in the late 2000s, it's saying here. So it was a big opportunity to make money until every single person out there was doing it. It then became a situation where again, you have to be careful of the type of sites that ends up on because then you don't have control over the films or pictures or your work anymore. And it, it makes a comparison here. People are going to be a lot more willing to get something like porn for free without feeling bad about it. Certain loyalty to say Radiohead to buy their latest album rather than download it illegally or like copy it off a friend or whatever. Porn users don't have the same scruples about porn. And then we've also got, we're transitioning from VHS to DVD as well as the birth of the internet. A lot of people think that the internet wasn't a good thing for porn because of these things. You have to work way harder to make the same amount of money. And then you've got all of these big porn production companies trying to navigate availability of this different types of porn versus still wanting to film actual porn in a studio on location and, and distribute it that way. And then the upside is that you now have an extra outlet to distribute your porn. But the downside is that p 
people might not be looking for what you have anymore. They already got it, like a million other places, for free. There's something. There's a whole thing about this journalist interviewing Rob Black in the '90s, one of the most notorious provocateurs of porn, grotesque, taboo breaking stuff about rape and stuff. He's talking about when things happened with the war on obscenity during George Bush administration, when Janet Jackson, Justin Timberlake did the Super Bowl, and he accidentally, I don't know, on purpose, whoever you believe, ripped the the nipple thingy off her shirt, but ripped too much off and exposed the titty. I'm saying here, he was going to be doing an Iron Man parody, Captain America, Triple X, and Iron Man, Triple X. He basically directs superhero parodies for Vivid. But now there's people talking about fees for scenes and stuff, taking a hit. People aren't getting the same amount of money for scenes now. A lot of porn stars are supplementing their income on on, um, their own personal websites. As the time went on on sites like OnlyFans, by stripping, doing live shows on the internet, having merch tie-ins, and, like, repping things like different supplements and shit like that. Um, if they're big enough name, getting jobs in the mainstream Hollywood industry, or in, like, music videos and shit like that. It's talking about how... In the 90s, one of the best-known male performers was John Doe. On contract with Vivid, the only man in the business to be exclusive to a company at that time. He had a reputation for being a dependable woodsman and was well-liked in adult circles. And was interviewed by this journalist in 1996 doing a remake of Debbie Does Dallas. But then... Years later, in 2006, they took their own life. And it was assumed that the industry, and specifically declining sales, played a role. This journalist also interviewed John Doe's widow. And it was confirmed that it was more to do with drugs than it was the industry at all. It's sad because then you're seeing that those type of issues... The drugs and stuff like that are still very much a, a part of the porn industry. And it's something that a lot of people can't shake and have a lot of trouble getting that addiction in check so that they can continue to have a successful life, whether or not they stay in porn. I'm saying here, at this time, you know, parodies were still very popular. The, the big issue, so a lot of, there's still a lot of market for softcore stuff. There's still the parodies thing that's going on we've we've transitioned over very much though to sites like OnlyFans and patreon style or you know personal website style things that have people doing their own posting of all their videos and pictures and content and interacting with their fans setting up different opportunities for themselves with the economy going back and forth it's also you never know but most people simply can't or don't want to pay if, if they don't have to. And paying, not paying for content is not like a moral issue for people who consume porn. A lot of the sex workers and porn actors don't really sympathize with the porn companies 
they made so much money for so long. This is a, a direct quote from an actor that they interviewed for this. It's talking about, they, they also talk about, you know, it, it, speaking of the connection between, you know, pop culture and porn, there was, this was also the time of sex tapes from Paris Hilton and Kim Kardashian and, and a couple others. People are thinking about how if they can get sex tapes out and it ha- not be a huge PR issue and they become more famous because of it and make money, like that's so how do porn stars take notes from that and turn that into something for them again sort of i guess the the connection between sex and hollywood and sex in the porn industry it's like it's still a reality that there's sex scandals in hollywood with or without porn stars and then it seems like the sex tape that goes back to kind of what i was talking about in the show the deuce there's always this like sex tape that was taken on the low and then it gets out there and then someone has to do damage control and then turn it into some sort of money-making venture. And how long has that been going on apparently since the, the early days of porn, since, you know, the start of the golden age of porn? People consented to have this tape made of them, but what maybe what they didn't consent to is having it distributed everywhere. So now what has to happen is that they now have to reclaim that. So that part of it, of course, I, I respect. Cornster that they were interviewing was talking about how it's like lack of sympathy and how for, and up until recently, porn companies have not really been promoting a positive work environment all that much. There's like a whole bunch of people who, you know, showed up had no, no other qualifications other than they could have sex on camera. And now they have, they still have no money saved and then they have no future in any other business because again, also up until very recently, you really can't do anything else once you start doing porn and people know who you are. It Once you try to go back into the real world to find work, you're going to basically have to change your entire appearance or like work remotely or something. <laughs> That's an option now, I guess. So people don't really ever have to see what you look like. And that's where we get into, like, does the, the stigma attached to porn doesn't make it okay to steal it. Of course. And then it's like, the dilemma being faced here is, you've got to have a certain standard of product, but also when more, more people are downloading content for free then how are you supposed to maintain that? It's really tough. Some people, I mean, the people that are very successful on sites like OnlyFans will probably tell you that it's, it's an amazing resource and has changed their lives and they wouldn't have what they have without it. So it's hard to say. Um, Of course, OnlyFans does very much give you the control over your brand which is really good. And if you're using it properly, like you still have to pay taxes and, and, you know, you still have to record everything and you have to follow certain standards and guidelines. And so that kind of goes into kind of the unpredictable nature of what goes on. And yeah, very much the industry, I feel like it's, it suffered because of a lot of economic stuff that's been happening with people. 
And then, but as much as it has been suffering, people have been kind of thriving and changing with all of those hurdles. There's actually a Vice show called Sex After the Internet, which is really, really good. You should check it out. And there's also a Netflix show, I believe, that's coming out soon. Oh, yeah, it's called Money Shot. It's called Money Shot, the Pornhub story. It's uh, available to stream March 15th. Porn performer Sherry DeVille, one of my faves, also mommy, is featured in the documentary. Um, Sex After the Internet is the Vice one. There's a, a couple other ones. There's two After Porn Ends. That's a really good one as well. If you want to check those out. So yeah, I, I said that I wanted to discuss black porn stars that do not get any recognition. So I definitely want to start doing that. A lot of these porn stars came up in like the 90s to, and 2000s. Yeah, as, you, as you'll see in a lot of the aesthetic, they have sort of been catering to, like, the uh, urban sort of style of uh, aesthetic. And there are a couple alternative black porn actors who are doing, like, BDSM and fetish stuff primarily. So there are some exceptions. Number one is Anna Fox with three X's. She is also a director and model. She started getting into the industry in 2012. And she has won Best Female Performer at the 2018 Urban X Awards. And won Best Sex Scene at the 2018 X-Biz Awards. And... That was with a group sex scene with fellow black porn stars Yasmin DeLeon, Chanel Hart, Anya Ivey, and Ocean Pearl. And she was nominated for Best New Starlet at the 2013 AVN Awards. She has also worked with Kira Noir, Lotus Lane, and Shyla Jennings. And then, of course, number two, I believe, was Kira Noir. So, yeah, Kira Noir, she started in 2014. She is arguably the most famous black porn star in the world, if not one of the most famous. She does fetish content. She does girl-girl. She does anal. She kind of does everything. She won Best Anal Performer at the 2018 Urban X Awards. She received Female Performer of the Year, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Group Sex Scene nominations at the AVN Awards. And as I mentioned, she won Female Performer of the Year but she's also been nominated and won a bunch of other awards for that time. She'd also appeared in oh, the Wicked Pictures feature release Ethnicity, <laughs> starring Misty Stone, Chanel Hart, Jezebel Vassir, Osa Lovely, Sarah Banks, Gasmine Leon, Sadie Santana, and September Rain. This movie won Feature Film of the Year and Best Black Release at the 2017 Urban X Awards. This was also for Kira to win a to get a Best Supporting Actress nom for the 2018 AVN Awards, nominated for Best Actress at the 2018 X-Biz Awards. So that was all before her her big win. We also have performers Aliyah Hadid, Sarah Banks, 
Jenna Fox, Demi Sutra, Misty Stone, as we mentioned, and Chanel Hart, Bethany Benz. So these are all like fairly newer, and Tiana Trump. <laughs> Unfortunate last name. There's also Skin Diamond is another popular porn star. Heather Hunter. So Heather Hunter is one of the biggest names in the porn industry and in the black porn industry. So as we mentioned here, Urban X Awards. So it's an annual award ceremony held in the United States to honor achievements in ethnic pornography. So there was so little recognition in the regular industry, I guess, that and, and I don't know, possibly because of racism and, and unfair standards and whatnot, they have their own awards show now for black and uh, ethnic, non-white, my, excuse me, minority, whatever you want to refer to the, the BIPOC, BIPOC, like whatever, however you want to say it. They were referring it to as urban as like a is kind of a code keyword for for black essentially, and then the X indicating that it's adult. Also, originally known as the Urban Spice Awards, and it was established in two thousand eight by an adult film director named Gianna Taylor. It was last awarded in twenty twelve. They had, had a five year hiatus and came back in twenty seventeen, and they cater to recognizing the achievements by adult film stars, producers, directors, agencies, and companies who produce black, Latin, Asian, and interracial, interracial, interracial adult content. The winners are voted for by fans on the awards website. If you go online, you can find a whole list of all of the winners and the hall of fame inductees because they also have a hall of fame. So the most recent entry was for 2022 uh, with such names as Adina Jewell, Angel Eyes, Anna Fox, Annie Cruz, Ivan, Jean-Claude Baptiste, Jeremy, Jocelyn James, Marie Love, Maya G, Natasia Dreams, Nina L. I believe Natasia Dreams was also on a couple recent episodes of the Pornhub podcast. Nina L, Phoenix Marie, Rico Shades, Rock the Icon, Simone Taylor, Sean Dumb, Sophia Rose, Vita Valentine and Will Ryder. So those are all the winners from 2022. Or sorry, those are all the Hall of Fame inductees from 2022. The list of winners only goes to 2012. And for some reason, there's no information. Where's the information for 2017 and onward? Let me see. It doesn't have it. So for some reason, there's only information for the awards winners up to 2012 but hmm so asa akira was at these awards mendingo skin diamond as i mentioned prince yashua jada stevens lisa ann lisa ann oh i guess because she does interracial she lisa ann is a very famous porn star who does like MILF porn and also is very popular for parodying the former governor of Alaska, Sarah Palin, in several adult films and music video. 
So, uh, yeah, one of the big ones. And um, she also quit porn in 97 due to the AIDS scare in the industry, but came back in the mid-2000s. And in 2008, that's when she started doing her Sarah Palin shit. Prior to beginning her... I'm bouncing all over the place, sorry. Prior to beginning her adult entertainment career and appeared as a Snapple girl on the Howard Stern show, she played Palin in the music video for the song We Made You by American rapper Eminem. That's where she was. Oh, she was also voiceover for Prostitute Number 2 in the video game Grand Theft Auto V. She appeared on Billions... She hosted a Sirius XM show titled Stripper Town. Done it all. She's done them all. Done it all and them all. T.S. Madis- Madison. Oh, okay. Sweet. Uh, Misty Stone. Mason. Those are some of the winners from the, the last data that they have from 2012. Okay, but before I continue on, I also want to talk about Heather Hunter. So, Heather Hunter... There's a few more people that I want to mention going into uh, the final sort of golden age of the prawn. I think this has been a very, I feel like it's been a very smooth going episode so far. I I really didn't feel like it was going to be this um, well put together and that I would have retained and, and been able to pull up so quickly all the information I needed. Maybe we're doing good for time. I'm not exactly sure how long the last video that got cut off was, so it's possible we're not doing good for time. I had plans to go out for dinner tonight, actually. I really want to go do Taste of Oakville before the month is over. Uh, this is really, like, the only night that I feel like doing it, so... Because I'm gonna... I, I'm, I have nothing else to fucking do today. All the chores are done. All I have to do is take the garbage out before I leave and change... Maybe put some actual clothes on. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to let me in the restaurant dressed like this. <laughs> um, so, Heather Keisha Hunter, Double H, not only a porn actress, but an American rapper, painter, and author. She is in the AVN and XR Co. Hall of Fame. She was born in the Bronx, New York. She... Left home at 16, and she was working and found out that there was an ad in the Village Voice to do striptease, so she did a few little stripteases for various places, then she started taking some pictures for various magazines, and then the offers to appear in porn started to come up. And then in 1988, so we're, we're backtracking a tiny bit here from who we were talking about before. So this is, like again, one of the OGs of porn from the late 80s. And then in the, by the mid-90s, her career had peaked. And she was one of the few performers to use her actual name rather than an, a stage alias. She was known for both interracial and lesbian scenes. And she was a mainstay on the Robin Bird show as well as doing porn. From 1990 to 1992, she was a dancer on Soul Train. She somehow concealed her career in porn from Don Cornelius and ended up on Soul Train. 
She was a hooker in the black comedy horror film Frankenhooker. And she... The way that she was able to be in both adult videos and Hollywood, more mainstream stuff, is that she did have some you know, connections in those areas. So when she first was dancing and like doing her, her modeling and photography, she did meet an adult film actress named Hypatia Lee, who suggested she perform in movies. And that her first movie came out in 1988, and she then became the first African-American woman to become a Vivid Entertainment contract girl. She has 51 videos, one directorial effort to her credit. On I, and the, there's a version of IMDb called the Internet Adult Film Database. And her final adult video appears to be Honey Wood, released in 1999. In 1996, she, Nina Hartley and Angel Kelly, appeared in the music video of Tupac Shakur's How Do You Want It. She was in, she was inducted into the AVN Hall of Fame in 2003. The same year, she starred in her own animated cartoon series, Bulletproof Diva, in which she saves the world from the inhabitants of hell. And in 2004, she and Ginger Lynn appeared in non-sex roles in Hustlers, Can You Be a Porn Star? She was inducted into the Exarco Hall of Fame in 2022. And she's also been involved with music professionally since 1993. She was under contract with Island Records. She released a song titled I Want It All Night Long. And she also worked for Tommy Boy Records without much success. They apparently just didn't know how to market her as both an R&B or a pop singer. I guess she was more of a rapper. So I guess they didn't really know what to do there. So she released 18-track album titled Double H, The Unexpected. She has also worked with DJ Premier and Scott Storch in creating this album. This was back in 2005. Janet Jackmee, another very famous porn star, appears on the interlude of My Toolbox. And it talks a lot about her her rise through the game and sort of like her, her desire to be taken seriously as a rap musician. Hunter also hosted for two years The Peep Show on pay-per-view TV. Originally hosted by rapper Luther Campbell as Luke's Peep Show. And it was a raunchy interview show that aired uncensored music videos. Hunter has recorded with several different artists. Bubba Sparks, Cool Keith. There are different songs such as I Want It All Night Long, So Serious, In Love, and Orgasmic. And Hunter also is a very well-known painter and writer. In June 2006, Hunter opened her own art gallery in Brooklyn, New York, with the Hunter Collection paintings as the gallery's first exhibition. In mid-2007, she wrote a novel that was published called The Rise of a Porn Star, co-written by Michelle Ballantyne. And it talks about the story of it's sort of like a fictionalized autobiography sort of deal. Talks about how her story would be fictionalized to protect the privacy of others that were involved. There was also some controversy with that, some kind of plagiarism suit. Yeah, so apparently... Um, yeah, there was an alleged kind of confirmed sexual relationship between Tupac and Heather Hunter... 
Tupac slept with multiple porn sets on that set, though, so I'm not sure if it was, like, a confirmed relationship or if he was kind of just, like, fucking everybody. Um, this is also the story of how Heather Hunter hid her porn career from Don Cornelius. She decided to start using her maiden name, just and then, and then I guess just kind of hope that nobody would recognize her. So she didn't use her actual like stage like she she ended up using a pseudonym in in, in essence for Soul Train instead of porn, which is really funny to me. Um, she used a real name for porn and a, and a and a fake name for so fucking Soul Train. So she finally got approved to be on the stage and. Apparently, the production manager and maybe, like, one or two other people on set knew who she was, and they were definitely had a conversation with her and were like, we won't tell. So that's also why she was able to continue with the secret identity for a few more months. But then a fellow cast member recognized and ran their mouth, and then Don Cornelius was told that that's Heather Hunter, and apparently he was like, who's that? So either he was lying or he truly didn't know who she was. So then it ended up happening where he was very supportive and did his best to help her stay on the show. And she didn't reveal her identity. And yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. She said it was a lifelong dream of hers, like a childhood dream to be on Soul Train. Apparently the the reason that she finally ended up uh, getting kicked off the show is that some of the sponsors found out and because soul train was watched by like children and teenagers, they didn't feel comfortable with her being on the show. So unfortunately she got ended up getting kicked off the show, but not like right away. Don Cornelius actually let her stay on the show for a while after they told her that she wasn't allowed on the show anymore. He was like, yeah, you know what? It's fine. He kind of like pushed it as long as they would let him. And then they had to kick her off the show. But he was kind of like, yeah, you, I guess, you know, I getting a bag was more important <laughs> from the sponsors. Yeah, I guess, I don't know, or maybe because after, after he found out who she was, he was like, you know, I'll, I'll let you stay for a little bit. <laughs> and one of her, la- her last Soul Train show was during Prince's performance, which is really, really cool. So, you know what? Sometimes you have really good opportunities in life, no matter what sort of industry you get into. And I think that's really, really cool. So yeah, props to Heather Hunter. Many kudos to you. Collaboration with Tupac and the allegations that they may have all slept together on set. And they paid them very well to be in this video. There was a very special connection that she shared with Tupac not and it, and it didn't seem like it was just sexual. I think that it was a, because she was also a rapper, and I think maybe they like just connected as people. I think that there was a very special bond there, and so when he died, she was devastated, and like there was a big uh, upheaval in her life. And yeah, as we mentioned, the whole gallery thing. So she's got a lot of different uh, businesses and a lot of different personal interests, and in, in very creative individual. So, 
definitely somebody that is not talked about enough in the porn industry as someone who kind of like paved the way, changed the game. And so now we're going to get into one other person that I want to talk about kind of that was very, very popular in sort of the the time that I kind of was growing up. That was sort of like the person that you heard talked about all the time. And the person that sort of like set the tone for a lot of the porn aesthetic for, for years afterwards in the industry for women, Jenna Jameson, of course, and former porn actress, TV personality, model, businesswoman, has been named the world's most famous adult entertainment performer and the queen of porn. And so started acting in erotic videos in 1993 after having worked as a stripper and a glamour model. By 1996, she had won top newcomer from each of the three major adult movie organizations. She has been, she has won more than 35 adult video awards and been inducted into the X-rated critics organization and adult video news halls of fame. She founded club Jenna in 2000 with, Jake or Dina, whom she later married and then divorced. And this was uh, expanded into similar websites of other stars, beginning to produce sexually explicit videos in 2001. Uh, first such movie with uh, Brianna Banks called Brianna Loves Jenna was named at the 2003 AVN Awards as the best-selling and best-renting porno for 2002. And by 2005, Club Jenna had revenues of $30 million with Profits estimated at about half of that. So Jameson had also crossed over into mainstream pop culture. She was in Howard Stern's movie Private Parts in 1997. She had her own reality show called Jenna's American Sex Star on Playboy TV. And she made, she already made an autobiography as of 2004 called How to Make Love Like a Porn Star, A Cautionary Tale. Spent six weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Jameson announced her retirement from porn at the 2008 AVN Awards. And she did come back to work as a webcam model in the, in around 2013. But other than that, she doesn't like full out do porn anymore. She's been winning awards since 1995 when she appeared in her first, one of her first movie, Wicked One and Blue Movie. A different blue movie, not the original blue movie. She was also a voice actor for Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Best female voice performance. She was also in The New Devil and Miss Jones. She won a lot of crossover star of the years, which again, talk, talking about the whole meshing of pop culture and, and porn, which is become very important to a lot of actors I think like you know you truly made it when you're appearing in like different music videos and tv shows and movies and video games and stuff like that best actress favorite porn star favorite porn star best American actress fan favorite so she from basically from her entire career she was like very popular very well liked kind of just set the tone for the types of videos and the types of the look that porn stars were were going to kind of emulate going forward from there. Jenna Jameson has gone back and forth kind of talking about her personal relationships with both men and women as well. 
And she also dated Marilyn Manson and Tommy Lee. She married uh, a porn star and director, Brett Armstrong. Their marriage lasted just 10 weeks. It's not very... It's not a secret that a lot of relationships between porn actors don't end well. A, a couple of them work surprisingly well, but a lot of them very much end in in failure. So she then met another... The reason they separated is because she had an affair with someone, and then they got legally separated and divorced. Then she met Jake Regina, as we mentioned, porn studio owner, who was part of a wealthy cattle ranching family, and then entered the porn business after college. So... He was actually her only male on-screen sex partner from 1998 until she retired under the name Justin Sterling. They had issues conceiving. She was diagnosed with with cancer and uh, was dealing with miscarriage and stuff like that. All of the stress of all of that caused their marriage to collapse. She then got involved with fighter called Tito Ortiz, whom she met on MySpace. Remember MySpace, kids? I was just reading about going back through The Last of Us, the timeline of both the game and the show, of when the outbreak's supposed to have started and, like, kind of where the the show's supposed to be set now. And so the show uh, is supposed to... The outbreak's supposed to have started in 2003. So everything would have stalled at that year. And then... MySpace, I believe it said, was launched in 2003. So that's so as of 2006, MySpace has been around for about three years now. They met on MySpace. He was actually going to. This is very interesting, actually. So Tito Ortiz was supposed to be going to a be a guest of honor at the U.S. Marine Corps birthday ball at the Marine Corps Air Station Miramar in San Di- in San Diego. And the Corps refused to let him bring Jameson as his guest. What? Like, like y'all kill people and shit. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, you're, you're in the military. Like, that's what you're expected to do. Like, bitch, what? Anyway, then they had announced that Ortiz had made Jenna quit porn and she wanted to and they were going to be in a monogamous relationship and they talked about their relationship at the 2008 AVN movie awards while she was presenting an award she was on a couple episodes of the celebrity apprentice and when Ortiz was on there and she also announced that they were going to have twins in 2009 which was nice they did end up splitting up Oh, and Ortiz was granted full custody of the twins. Yikes. Okay. As of 2014, Jenna Jameson has undergone extensive tattooing in 2015-2016. She was going to marry a new guy, Lior Bitton, and they had a kid together. And she also converted to Judaism in order to marry him. And there was a reality TV show documenting her conversion. She also then said she was suffering from Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is a rapid onset muscle weakness caused by the immune system damaging the peripheral nervous system. It's typically triggered by infection 
occasionally by surgery and rarely by vaccination. So Jameson was also a vegetarian, I guess a vegetarian, because she did some spots for PETA after she watched the campaign against KFC's treatment of chickens. She is flip-flopped on her political beliefs. She was supporting Hillary, then she was supporting Mitt Romney, then she supported and su- tweeted in support of same-sex marriage, then she was showing tweets supporting Donald Trump. So, oh, then she criticized Playboy for featuring a trans woman in one of their issues. She's been in trouble with the law a little bit. She's been criticized for having too much plastic surgery. But yeah, it's in, it's, it's, you can't argue that she definitely was one of the biggest in the game at one point. That really set a lot of people up for, you know, all the new porn starlets coming through. Like, we need to look like Jenna Jameson. We need to do the kind of scenes that she does. And we need to, and maybe even like the kind of dramatic stuff that was going on in her personal life in the background. Maybe that was also that was something that people wanted to emulate in their personal life as well. You know, instead of porno chic, it was like, you know, the kind of porno trashy vibe. That was something that a lot of people kind of leaned into. There is actually like a list by decade, which is very helpful. If you ever want to look up certain porn stars by decade. So we're moving into the 2000s. Let's see if there's anyone else that jumps out at me. Oh, of course, Alexis, Texas, Asa Akira, Belladonna, Brie Olson. I believe Brie Olson also dated Charlie Sheen. Dana D'Armond, um, Jenna Hayes, Jesse Jane, Jiz Lee, Maxie Mounds. I just think that's a great name, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna mention it. Nikki Benz. Riley Steele, Sasha Gray, of course. Sasha Gray's an, another porn actor who transitioned into mainstream very well. Ended up doing a lot of different spots on both, you know, anything, everything from TV shows and films to, you know, indie stuff. We've got Stormy Daniels, Sunny Leone. Sunny Leone is a, an Indian porn star who has also transitioned out of porn and is now has a career in Bollywood and doing other acting stuff. And then for guys, of course I mentioned more of the women porn stars than the men. I just personally remember more women than men, even though I would say arguably there are maybe fewer men in the industry than there are women, but trying to get in there. I think it's a lot easier as a woman to have certain enhancements to get to the point of being a a porn star in the industry. Whereas with a guy, the the one requirement is very much still just have a huge dick. And that doesn't really matter what you, what you look like. I mean, it's also great if you're attractive, but yeah. So, but we've got uh, Danny Wilde, Eric Rhodes. There's a porn star named Jean Valjean. Get the fuck out of here. Oh my god, that's so funny. Kieran Lee, Lexington Steele, and Prince Yashua, other black porn actors. Marcus Dupree, 
Mick Blue. Oh, and then there was this guy named War Machine. I don't know why he's even on here. So War Machine was another MMA fighter. Also, a former professional MMA fighter, porn actor, and incarcerated felon. He is currently serving a life sentence for multiple counts of rape, kidnapping, domestic battery, and other charges. And so he was involved with he was involved with both MMA and porn. He had his name illegally changed from something Copenhaver, fucking weird German Dutch ass motherfucker, and had it legally changed to uh, War Machine. He was convicted uh, of raping and battering his ex girlfriend Christine McKinney, also known as Christy Mack, who is a former porn actress. McKinney and her boyfriend at the time in 2014 in their in their home, and she suffered 18 broken bones, a broken nose, missing teeth, fractured rib, ruptured liver, and a thigh bruise so deep she was unable to walk for at least a week. Apparently, a rape was attempted, but uh, I don't know because of drugs or some some other reason, they were not able to maintain an erection. So basically, they couldn't do it, and then. They found them guilty of found him guilty of twenty nine of the thirty four charges against him, including sexual assault and kidnapping, and he was sentenced to life in prison with a possibility of parole after thirty six years. That's going to be a really long time from now. Like, I I I highly doubt that's going to be an issue. So hopefully he'll be dead by then. And uh, yeah, it fucked her face up really bad and I, I actually remember when that all happened and on her Instagram and stuff she was posting shit about it in the whole recovery process so full, it looks like she's made kind of a full recovery and and has kind of managed to kind of bounce back from that but yeah so uh, there's still very much a whole thing with toxic relationships in the porn industry and people ending up with abusive characters. Um, so moving into the kind of 2010s, 2010, 2020s of now, we're looking at different porn stars such as Angela White, Chloe Cherry. So Chloe Cherry is actually one of the pictures that I used to promote this episode. So Chloe Cherry, we'll just click on there, uh, American actress, model, and former pornographic actress. She started her pornographic career in 2015 with Hussey Models and eventually appeared in over 200 films. And she made her crossover acting debut as Faye on the HBO teen drama series Euphoria. As you may have remembered, Faye is kind of like a sort of ditzy, bimbo-y, sort of drug addict type chick who appears in the show. She's the the girlfriend of a drug dealer that some of the other lead actors get involved with. So this is a, a good example of a more recent porn star because it says here she... In 2015, one week after she turned 18 years old, she moved from Lancaster, Pennsylvania to Miami to become a porn actress. She then was working in uh, L.A. 
and she is starring in different movies. She became popular on Pornhub. Her films received over 125 million views. And then early on during the pandemic, she started using OnlyFans to sell her content. So she's one of the first uh, big name porn stars to utilize OnlyFans for business. And then in 2022 is when she was contacted to be in Euphoria. So prior to appearing on the show, she actually appeared in a porn parody of Euphoria where she was with a fellow porn actress, Jenna Fox, and she was playing Jules. Basically, Sam Levinson sent Cherry an email, and she was going to be playing this role of the the stripper drug addict girlfriend, Amy. Not only did they find out about the parody, but then Sam Levinson started following her on Instagram and thought she was fucking hilarious. She had two virtual auditions, and then auditioned in person, and she was given the part. She was given the part of Faye instead. So, she actually became like a more instead of just being like a stripper, drug deal, drug addict person, she became like the 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 stripper drug addict. I guess it's like the, the the girlfriend of the main guy, a way more prominent speaking role in the show and like a reoccurring role, and so. Then Cherry was called one of the breakout stars of the show. This, I guess, led to her quitting porn, retiring to pursue full-time mainstream acting. So Cherry ended up signing a contract as well with a modeling agency. She walked for Laquan Smith during New York Fashion Week as well. She signed a contract with a modeling agency in in, uh, the agency Anti-Agency London. Then... um, She's going to be starring in a science fiction drama film and a comedy drama coming out very soon. So, yeah, if you know about Chloe Cherry, watched Euphoria. It's a very good role. Again, a good example of both the use of OnlyFans and the new sort of day and age of porn. And how if you're a big enough name, you can get tapped to work in all sorts of different other mainstream roles. Which it seems to be like that that's the that would be the main goal for a lot of these actors, but some people just still just stay in the industry. Like some people just really darn it for the love of the game. The, lo- the love of the the love of fucking. That's also great because I think that the longer that people can like they stay involved in the industry because they are truly passionate about sex and passionate about providing that entertainment for people, then I think that that's going to make the experience even more authentic. And you're going to have a lot less issues of people doing things that they're, they don't feel comfortable with and, and are going to regret later. And I also think that because of things like the AIDS scare, because of the pandemic, I think the industry is a lot safer. And also with the whole changing of wanting people to be sexually safe in terms of not stepping over people's boundaries and having a lot of conversations about what will and won't work in a scene and what you are and aren't willing to do and get that consent. There's also a lot more education on how to physically and mentally prepare yourself for certain types of scenes. Cause you know, a scene with one person that's just like, you know, regular sex versus like an anal scene versus a group scene 
versus a BDSM scene, those are all going to require different levels of mental and physical lead up to that scene that are going to, and also in certain situations, aftercare being required and stuff like that. So I think that's a very important part of mentioning in this whole thing is that people are more willing to stay in the industry now because of the, A, the option to do it from home where they can not have to be around other people for whatever reasons and they can do it on their own terms and with the people they want to the way they want and be completely safe, like medically and physically. Whereas again, you can also then go back to the old school way of doing it in the industry, but now there's all these safety procedures in place as there should be to make sure. And, and a lot more knowledge just in general of like, you know, health and hygiene when you go to sets, you know, your mental preparation and your, your talks about consent are also happening now too, in every case, they should be anyway before those sorts of things happen. So let's continue to go down the list. Um, we have Alexis, Alexis, Texas, April O'Neil, Asa Akira. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, Angela White, Annika Albright, Lana Rhodes, Maitland Ward, Mia Khalifa, Mia Malkova, Remy Lacroix, Riley Reed. So again, you might be already recognizing some pretty big names on this list. There's like five guys on the on the men's list. What was I going to mention on this list? Oh, Mia Khalifa. So again, Mia. So Mia Khalifa is also very interesting. So Mia Khalifa also did not have a very long career in porn. She is also the subject of a little bit of controversy. So basically, I think that she kind of just filled a, a niche thing because there are not a lot of Arabic performers in the porn industry. So for her to come up in the game as like a young, attractive woman willing to kind of do any kind of scene, but also, you know, with like the fresh set of titties and also like nobody else looks like her. And then she kind of like worked the nerd angle with the glasses and stuff. I think that that was very different. And that was like, this weird appeal that people like people didn't realize that they wanted it. And then because of that, she, her shit just blew up. She, uh, so she is, she's, she's American. She's a Lebanese American. She now does media po- podcast and webcamming and stuff. She started in 2014 and became the most viewed performer on Pornhub in two months. She also received a lot of backlash from the Middle Eastern community because she performed sexual acts while wearing hijab. Um, so she actually was raised Catholic, but so, so she, her, her religion that she was raised with, with was not Islam. So, but she like portrayed a Muslim on camera in certain acts and stuff, I guess like working that taboo angle in a sense of like stuff you're not supposed to do. She apparently was still raised in a very conservative home. She attended a, she actually did go to Beirut and was uh, in Lebanon and was attending private school there that was uh, initially French language based. She did also learn to speak English. She was then moved to Maryland. So 
there was a, the South Lebanon conflict. So they basically had to stop going to stop living in Lebanon and move to the States. She did experience a lot of Islamophobic and racist behavior against her. She ended up moving around to different states to go to school. So she was actually college educated and has a Bachelor of Arts in History. She actually got into porn just kind of like randomly. And at at the time, but right before she got into porn, she was just going to school. She was working as a bartender. She was doing like um, random jobs and stuff here and there to kind of make money. Apparently the name, the way that she picked her name was she named herself after her dog Mia and the rapper was Khalifa. Now this may, like this is on, on Wikipedia, so this could have been edited to be whatever. So, but we're just going to assume that's true. She came to widespread attention after doing the hijab threesome. Her parents publicly disowned her. And then the outrage it ca- was causing was also resulting in sort of what was what's known as the Streisand effect, where somebody trying to hide, remove, or censor information leads to the unintended consequence of having more of a spotlight on that information. It's named after, of course, Barbara Streisand and her attempt to suppress California records of her, including a photograph of her clifftop residence in Malibu. It was taken to document coastal erosion. So basically, in the outrage and and, uh, trying to get this taken off the internet or get get suppressed, more and more people started finding out about it, and that led to everybody searching for Mia Khalifa, and then had 1.5 million views. She was 22 years old and was the most searched for performer on Pornhub. And she, Pornhub revealed that she was the, on, on December 28th of that year, Pornhub revealed that she was the number one ranked performer on the site. So she has talked about this controversial scene. She was talking about how it is satirical. She talks about uh, Hollywood films have depicted Muslims in a way more negative light than her or any other pornographer could. And, And other people have actually come out, other performers have come out to defend her. But yeah, think about that what you will. This was basically the beginning of Khalifa signing a long-term contract with Bang Brothers' parent company, who also own the largest free porn site, X Videos. Then she decided to resign and leave the industry randomly. And she just decided she, she didn't want to do it anymore. She had only performed in porn for three months. She left the industry over a year before changing to a norm, more normal job. She just, I think she, because she was raised so strict, maybe she was feeling rebellious. And she was also criticized for reinforcing the social stigma against sex work and distancing herself from her previous career. She was still getting searched up as the most popular actress as of 2016. In 2018, three years after leaving the industry, she was still the second highest ranked person on Pornhub. Um, standard contract compensation from production studios in the industry is a thou per scene 
So she ended up making $12,000. She did not receive any residuals from Bang Bros or Pornhub or other free sites where any videos were uploaded. Had she been a Pornhub partner, she could have made over $500,000. So if she had stayed in the industry and become a partner with Pornhub, things could have been a lot different. But I don't know. Maybe she, she didn't care about that. I don't know. And people were asking for her videos to be removed from the sites because she wasn't earning any money off them. Their bang bros sent her a cease and desist and set up a website to dispute statements she made about the company, saying that she earned a, a very specific amount of money from them and their, their affiliates and was in the adult industry for more than two years. So there's a little bit of, you know, he said, she said going on here. Mia Khalifa ended up going back to just a normal ass life. She transitioned then into a career as social media personality, webcam model, and sport commentator. And she runs a YouTube channel, live streams on Twitch. She performs as a webcam model, sells photo shoots, merchandise, access to exclusive content on membership website, Patreon, sells explicit photo shoots and videos on the social media website, Findro. She has used her social media presence to support professional sports teams from the Washington, D.C. area. She She announced she was no longer a practicing Catholic. She, uh... <laughs> A study published in The Lancet on the, effective, on the effectiveness of chloroquine as a COVID treatment was carried out by a company whose manager was a pornographic film actress. In the response, Senator Randolfe Rodriguez jokingly proposed summoning Mia Khalifa. Khalifa then wrote on Twitter, I'm not a doctor, so don't take medical advice from fake memes of me found on WhatsApp. <laughs> I just wanted to mention the one last person there, if I can, because I wanted to just, like, that that's just a, a really prolific amount of attention in such a short amount of time. Like, even for years after, was still trending so much on all these sites. So that's kind of crazy. Obviously, OnlyFans has blown up. It, it, of course, it's supposed to be for fans of everything, but... It very famously has become notorious for sex workers and porn stars and stuff like that to build their brands and get content out to their fans. Hmm. Okay, so let me just search it this way. Yes, I have an OnlyFans account. Mind your own business. (laughs) Just mind your damn business. Why is it just showing me this? Um, there's titties. That's not what I was trying to find. It's just showing me things of people I follow. I want to search everybody. What the- why isn't it working? <sighs> okay, I'll go back to Google and try and find it. I'll, le- I'll end it off on this, because this is just what I'm curious about. Interesting. What's very interesting is that I didn't know this. Angela White is the original name of Black China and there is a porn star named Angela White. I'm actually like freaking out right now about this. Did Black China do porn? I feel like she did. I feel like she did do porn. I feel like she did. What the fuck was that? Oh no, Krusty. I know she was like a stripper and a model and stuff. No, but there's also a porn star named Angela White 
And she's actually, like, one of the top porn stars right now. Um, yeah, she is an Australian porn actress and director. She... In 2020, she became the first three-time female performer of the year winner. She graduated from the University of Melbourne. I think she, at this point, this was in 2014, she probably has already gone back to complete her PhD. She graduated with a first-class honors degree in gender studies, where she did research the Australian porn industry. And she began her career in 2003. She's been called the Meryl Streep of porn. And her first scene was shot shortly after her 18th birthday. In 2003, she launched an official website, AngelaWhite.com. And she has a flashlight made after her. And that was as of 2014. She's worked with pretty much everybody in the business. She co-hosted the AVN Awards in 2018 with Aries Spears and webcam star Harley Lotz. She signed an exclusive contract with Brazzers in 2021. She has won several awards, as we mentioned, the performer of the year, female performer of the year. Three years back to back to back. She's performed with like everybody in the business. She is also very active in politics. She ran as a political candidate for the Australian Sex Party. She ran to advocate for sex workers' rights, specifically to oppose the Green Party candidate, Kathleen Maltzon, who advocated banning brothels. She is officially published in the Routledge Companion to Media, Sex, and Sexuality, The Porn Performer. That's her, th- that's her honors thesis as published uh, in that companion in 2017 which is kind of cool. So as we've seen with lots of different actors, uh, Stoya was the other one I was thinking of, I think in that respect, a lot, like, as I mentioned, with a lot of the people have their education and their credentials before porn available online. So we all know that they have like very extreme amounts of education in a lot of cases. I think that there's a lot of conception that that's not the case but yeah a lot of people in porn are very well educated and a lot of the reason that they're getting their education paid for is that they were paying for it through doing things like stripping escorting porn things like that and that also helped to pay for various bodily enhancements that people are getting so i think that that's another big thing that's a, that's been a trend that's come full circle in 2023 is where we went from from seeing an extremely natural look to seeing an extremely enhanced, bordering on unnatural look, uh, more so for women. Then we've seen it go kind of back to a more natural sort of mixed bag thing. Obviously, like the thicker, like more curvaceous girl is still going to be in and like a more muscular younger guy is going to be more desirable. But I think that with different people's tastes being more accepted. We have a bigger, you know, opportunity for non-white actors, for actors that aren't thin, for actors with disabilities and the LGBTQ community. And so that's got to be in 2023, 
something that isn't, you know, why is this still a thing that isn't represented? So I think, I think that we, the, the porn industry is making good strides there, but I mean, obviously there's still a lot that could be done. The last thing I'll just talk about is do both, do both pop culture and porn normalize the abuse of women? Oh, by Jessica Taylor. So that's a very interesting article that I, that came up when I searched porn and pop culture discussing, you know, maybe there's still some issues with internalized and and systemically accepted misogyny and aggressive toxic masculinity that's contributing to women performers still being potential victims of abuse and things like that. There's also an article here, four reasons why the merging of pop culture and porn may be affecting you. A narcissistic objectification, the problem with the pornification of pop culture. They specifically reference the Fifty Shades phenomenon, taking porno chic to new heights, reimagining violent sex as a form of erotic play. The, the term pornification, basically the absorption by mainstream culture of styles or content of the sex industry and the sexualization of Western culture, sometimes referred to as raunch culture. So we we did refer I did reference this a bit earlier on talking about you know Hollywood being influenced by and society being influenced by porno chic in the seventies and like early eighties. So pornification, particular particularly of women, is said to demonstrate how patriarchal power plays are blocking fields of gender representation, and there's a commodification of women hyper in the hypersexualization of women and girls for the global market. So pornification is being argued here is not only abusing women, but exploiting them. They're exploiting them not only sexually, but financially as well. And so a lot of people are saying that, you know, the examples of raunch culture may have led to, the time, I mean, may have led to the period of time where people didn't have a lot of consequences for their, their behavior or their words when they would say overtly sexual things that were, could be uh, considered very offensive or obscene. Um, uh, for another example is how pole dancing has become a form of exercise for, you know, suburban women now, uh, sexually suggestive words, finding their way into everyday public statements. Um, Things like certain burger chains, for example, using highly sexualized advertising to sell their burgers. We've seen that with a couple places. Carl's Jr. is very was very famous for doing that. They mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey, the both the the books and the movie. Of course, there's a lot of people for the um, advocacy of porn. So why, what there's, um, there's a lot of people arguing about, like, let's ask the questions. Why are we seeing these things in non, in a non-porn setting? It's possible, again, this is speaking to certain people's need for like a hidden desire that's coming out in like the normal mainstream. I think that despite anything you do, you're going to have to deal with the fact that kids and teenagers are going to see certain things that may or may not be pornographic. And then it, as parents, you can have that conversation with them. But I don't know if I would say that society has really gone that far 
it's like nothing that uh, nothing that I don't think could be either you know controlled and regulated so that your kids aren't watching that shit or it can be explained with like a few very simple conversations with your kids so I think that uh there's a lot of good resources here to kind of look into where the where the fusion of of pop culture and uh porn is happening and you're going to see both your positive and your negative spins on it so i guess however you align you can find that whatever articles work for you but i think having an open mind on both ends is a good idea um there's as i was going to mention as well uh with um rap and porn aesthetics the merging of rap and porn aesthetic um, the connection between rappers and athletes and porn stars, uh, in terms of like dating romantically, that was another thing I wanted to touch on. I am running out of time a little bit here. I did find this one article down at the bottom, rap and porn aesthetics and pop culture, the turning point of how many licks. So as we all know, the rap genre tends to be a little bit more explicit in its lyrical content and the types of music videos that we're seeing. So this is saying here, uh, of course, performed by Lil' Kim in 2000, focused on the practice of cunnilingus by men on her. Single appears on the album Hardcore, a clear homage to the porn universe. We can also see in the cover art, Lil' Kim wears a shocking pink bikini, presents the singer on her knees, legs stretched apart on a bare skin rug, pushing out as if to offer her body. The piece is focused on the song's lyrics and its accompanying video directed by Francis Lawrence. This, so basically this is somebody's like, like an, an essay or a thesis that somebody wrote. This is part of a porn studies class. So there it's, it's revolving around production of three prototype Lil' Kim dolls as well. So it, it not only does it have extremely explicit de- like descriptions of eating someone out and then you also have the how many licks does it take and then that's like part of the chorus clearly referencing Tootsie Roll Pops. Then we've also got the prototype Lil' Kim dolls. So Candy Kim, Pin Up Kim, and Knight Rider Kim. And dolls being showed assembled as a production and series, seemingly referencing capitalism and the standardization of pornography and its spread across other media. Then she's also seen starting on a catwalk, catwalk among paparazzi while her sexual partners are displayed like shields. Then they, they kind of try and talk about how, like, each doll is representative of, like, a different aspect of the sexual the sexual av- avatars or sexual altars of Lil' Kim. And so rap in popular culture, there's always been kind of a connection there. Now we kind of hear about it more where, like, rappers are, are you know, dating porn stars sliding into the DM. Same with athletes. But it was even just the aesthetic of rap, of being a little bit more as the word we've used raunchy, but just like, not just like that's kind of puts a negative spin on it. It's just, you know, being more sexually open in a way that other media doesn't, doesn't show, I guess. And then getting away with it a little bit more um, as part of like the musical expression. So then we're also seeing, also seeing more explicit lyrics from (coughs) rappers like Trina and Foxy Brown, uh, more modern rappers like Nicki Minaj, and then, yeah, pretty much all male rappers are 
saying pretty explicit stuff in their raps. Lil Wayne, I can think of as maybe one person who does a little bit more than others. I think that's where, I guess, you will see the most kind of merging of the openness of kind of talking about sexuality and, like, how you want to be fucked. We were just, what were we just listening to, like, maybe a year ago? Wet-ass pussy. Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. And both of them are very explicit in their lyrics about sex, uh, as well as on this track together. So, like, is it is it offensive? Is it objectifying women? Is it pornification? Is it, or is it something that's, you know, very explicitly, like, you know, it's not for children to be listening to? And it's grown people, grown women, making a consenting choice to discuss how they want to be fucked and, you know, all the different depictions and descriptions and that person that they're talking to has to deliver. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, how is that really any different from what you would ask for on a porn set? You know, you're expecting all these different people to meet up and and come to an agreement on, you know, how they're going to fuck. And everybody has to, you know, like, deliver the goods. You have to bring that wet-ass pussy. <laughs> but you also have to do things to make the pussy be wet-ass. If you, you get what I'm saying. Of course, there's lots of discussions about that in the porn industry, about how much of it is real and how much of it is, like, heavily staged and assisted to just, like, get the shoot done. Like, what people do in the cases of, like, you know, providing um, extra excess lube for the actors, the rumor fluffers preparing for anal sex scenes for by by the person getting the anal, not eating for like two three days, and doing like enemas and douching like every day before leading up to the scene, things like that. Uh, what you do if you happen to be on your period and have to do a scene, yeah, all sorts of stuff like that. You know, porn stars are real people. They they have to deal with all this shit, right? I think that there was actually a lot of good articles and a lot of good research that I found. Um, some other things that I referenced in um, the pop culture of sex, an evolutionary window on the worlds of pornography and romance. This is another article that would be good to look into. Days in porn pop culture references... Pornography and pop culture pushing the limits and sexualizing youth. So there's a couple sites on here that are very clearly like, you know, moral the the moral judgment police. But there's actually some really good uh, actual articles on on looking into this pop cultural osmosis. How porn and pop culture intertwine. There's actually a video on YouTube. How pop porn and pop culture intertwine. The impact of pornography on society. Why you've been seeing more and more dicks on TV. That's an article from 2021. Yeah, I guess HBO, something to do with Pornified. I I don't know about you, but that's what I want to see. Is porn culture to be feared? Nine to five, days in porn. Oh, that's cool. Wasn't done yet. Jeez. It is a movie where basically uh, he gets... He needs money, so he ends up looking for jobs. And I guess, unbeknownst to him, he stumbles onto a porn set. And he casts the unwitting Joe as a masked superhero 
named Orgasmo. And Joe gets around having to film any actual sex scenes by them bringing in a stunt cock instead. So they get, like, another actor to jump in and do the actual sex scene. And then he does all the acting. So then the film becomes a hit, even in the mainstream. And Joe soon discovers that Max is a criminal with some sinister plans. So Joe and his sidekick become real superheroes to combat the evil director. That's the basic synopsis of the film. This was released at the Toronto Film Festival in 97 with NC-17 release in the U.S. And critical reception, it's not great, but um, I, the reason I, I mention it because it is very much a cult film. Uh, if you like Trey Parker and Matt Stone, you'll probably like this movie. It, it is extremely ridiculous, so you kind of just have to realize that when you watch it. Reception and rating by the MPAA is discussed in the 2006 documentary, This Film Is Not Yet Rated, which talks about the Motion Picture Association of America's rating system and its effect on American culture. So those ratings, again, very, if the, with the, if, if they're, you know, increased sexualization of, of movies and, and more sexual content in movies, those ratings are going to end up being changed. So NC-17 is actually one of the worst ratings you can get according to this movie and it, as the as the documentary included so much clips from nc-17 films it actually got an early nc-17 rating due to graphic sexual content and he the guy who one of the guys who made the, the director of the movie kirby dick he appealed the rating so he could chronicle both the rating and appeals process of the early version of the film in the final version which true to the title is not yet rated very funny. I love it. So, yeah, that, that movie talks about a lot of, like, different disparities, the rating system. I mean, porn's kind of just passed all that and immediately gets an X rating. So, like, the second that there's actual sex scenes that are unsimulated, it's getting an X rating. So that's a very interesting thing to mention because cause I did stumble upon an article that talked about some movies with real sex scenes. There's a lot of different movies, Short Bus, Nymphomaniac, Antichrist, I mentioned Blue Movie, and then you have to also remember that a lot of porn films were re-edited and redistributed for mainstream release, censored. So any scenes of penetration or like explicit sex scenes were cut out or replaced with alternate shots. Deep Throat was one of the exceptions, it says here. Pink Flamingos. There were close-up depictions of actual fellatio, which unambiguously contravene our classification guidelines. The Devil and Miss Jones. So, The Devil and Miss Jones was not considered a porn, apparently, but it was. It did include sex acts so, for certain people. So, some people consider it as the golden age of porn, and some people consider it as an actual film because so many film critics actually gave it such a positive review. The film's plot was actually inspired by No Exit by Jean-Paul Sartre. So, and that's one of the most remade and referenced porn movies that was ever made. There is a copyright status that is still unresolved with this movie because there were unauthorized copies of this film distributed for a certain time. Basically, 
the plot is about this lady, Justine Jones, who's a lonely and depressed spinster because she takes her own life. She she has to go to hell. And so then she makes a deal with the devil to come back to earth as the embodiment of lust and basically have bizarre and sexually deviant encounters with people. Then she, then her time runs out. She is faced with eternity in hell. And by the time this is over, she is now a raging sex addict. She, her punishment is to be trapped in a room with an impotent man who is more interested in catching flies than her. So apparently this was a very highly acclaimed movie. It was Phobos. It's true. So that's why it's kind of like on the border, I guess, why it's on this list. It's sort of on the border of, is it a porn? Is it an actual movie? We're not really sure. There's also movies called The Devil's Plaything. Emmanuel is another very famous one where a woman puts a cigarette in her vagina and smokes it with her vagina. Score with Sylvester Stallone. And that was including a gay, fellatio, unsimulated sex scene. Um... Maybe. There's a lot of things involving Satan and the devil when we look up all of these. Um, then we got Black Emmanuel. Why she gotta be black though? <laughs> Emmanuel's Revenge. We got a lot about we got a lot about Emmanuel. Emmanuel in Bangkok. Oh, the opening of Misty Beethoven. See, these I thought were just straight up pornos. I don't know why they're on this list. It says American erotic film. And that one is also based on Pygmalion and My Fair Lady. It is regarded as a mainstream classic, the crown jewel of the golden age of porn. Alice in Wonderland, which was filmed as a hardcore porn film slash musical. Not to be confused with the other musical that came out in the 60s of Alice in Wonderland. There's another Alice in Wonderland themed one called Through the Looking Glass. Sister Emmanuel, Emmanuel around the world, Emmanuel in America. Damn, Emmanuel is just international. She's like Pitbull, Mr. Miss Worldwide over here. Dolly. <laughs> oh my god. We have Caligula, of course, added six minutes of several hardcore inserts, including penetration, fellatio, and ejaculation. The scenes shot by Tinto Brass are entirely softcore. So apparently Caligula's got some <coughs> extra sexy bits that they threw in there. I don't see any more Emmanuel on here. Maybe she's done. Oh no, Emmanuel and Soho. There's still some more. We still got more. Oh my god, damn. Emmanuel 4. Damn, Emmanuel. Damn. Ooh, there's two versions of that one. The Canadian VHS contains three hardcore scenes, including oral sex and intercourse. Ooh. Let's see. Emmanuel 5. Emmanuel 6. So it sounds like there's like hardcore version of these Emmanuel movies and the softcore version. So they like they like played all the angles. They worked all the all the corners of the market on the Emmanuel shit. We got Romance, of course, which is a very famous one. Features male and female masturbation, fellatio, penetration, ejaculation, and sadomasochistic bondage. Baisemoi which was including several actual sex scenes, including penetration and fellatio. The Brown Bunny by Vincent Gallo, featuring fellatio. Fellatio. There was an 8mm 2, 
featuring various erotic scenes include group sex, female masturbation, oral stimulation, authentic pornography frames, and lesbian cunnilingus. Lie With Me, based on the novel of the same title, containing medium to hardcore sex. Short Bus, which has several actors performing real sex acts, including explicit masturbation, autofellatio, coitus, and fellatio. Damn, autofellatio? That's, that's impressive. Antichrist by Lars von Trier features vaginal intercourse, graphically violent sexual Im- imagery, but it was not the actual main actors, body doubles. Stunt cocks and stunt pussies were used to make the film. Just as I'm thinking, Emmanuel's gone. I have a feeling she's going to show up again, so I don't want to say it too too early now. Nymphomaniac, that was the other one. Another Lars von Trier movie, part of his Depression trilogy. So to produce scenes of simulated sex, he actually used digital compositing to superimpose porn actors onto the bodies of the film actors. So we shot the actors pretending to have sex. They used body doubles who really did have sex. And then we shot the actors pretending to have sex and then had the body doubles who really did have sex. Then in post, they digitally imposed the two. So above the waist, it's the star, essentially, and then below the waist, it's the double. And so that was Charlotte Gainsbourg and Stacey Martin. Mainly, Charlotte Gainsbourg and Stacey Martin also revealed they had prosthetic vaginas that were used during filming. Something I just realized about Fleshlight, I didn't really know or realize this, but so when they when they mold Fleshlights, they talked about this on the Pornhub podcast, when they mold Fleshlights, they have to, you have to be aroused for it to actually to look proper for like what they want to actually sell because they want it to be your like fully aroused. Oh, I just looked down at mine. You're fully aroused, like ready to be fucked vagina is what they want to mold. So basically you have to like the porn stars that are going in to get these molds done are having to like stimulate themselves to like almost orgasm. And then they then get molded. So that way it's like just right, like at the best moment. So that's a little something I just learned recently. Anyway, that's pretty much it. So going back and forth between, I guess I'll just end the episode with this. So we've, we've talked a lot about the different types of the jump from the, the cinema age to the internet. We talked about some, sorry, we talked about some of the biggest porn stars there is a little bit of like a backstory that i looked into about the top gay porn stars you see in a lot of like so-called straight porn a lot of women doing girl girl stuff but you don't ever see guy guy stuff and so the gay male porn thing is a huge like whole separate industry so we've got people like jeff Stryker. He is, he's referred to, I guess, as like one of the most internationally, one of the most mainstream actors. He's been referred to as like the gay porn industry's Jenna Jameson. There's also people like Eric Rhodes. His popularity was so massive, the New York Times did a feature on his death in 2012, further pushing gay porn into the mainstream, (laughs) even though the piece was more about his passing than what he was able to achieve while alive. Many consider him to be gay porn Superman. So we've got a lot of people on this list here. 
Al Parker, the original bear that got many of us into hairy dudes before it was cool. But yeah, like a lot of the gay porn situation, because homosexuality is, you know, it was termed, it was still something that was just becoming legal, let alone socially acceptable. People were having a hard enough time accepting straight porn. So gay porn was, was very much like still a taboo thing, like among all the straight actors too. I think that nowadays there are a lot of gay and bi performers that are a lot more open about it. They're, they're doing things in a, a very progressive way. Zach Spears, the ultimate daddy of daddies, Bobby Blake, dominant top. Love it. Let's see it. So those are some na- na- big names in the gay industry. Then we're getting into the whole discussion of like trans porn and there's a lot of prominent trans porn actors. As I mentioned, Natasia Dreams. So if you look on like on any sites like Pornhub, for example, you've got Natalie Mars is like a top trans porn actor, Aubrey Kate. So we've got a lot of different people who are now a lot more accepting of different aesthetics of porn. There's a lot more like alternative tattooed, piercing, different colored hair. That's a lot more accepted in the main, in the porn industry. Now, a lot of people who have paved the way in the industry. Yeah. I guess the last thing I wanted to talk about, um, we're seeing this more and more at award shows and we're seeing this more and more in, in actors that are collaborating with each other or like one person will be directing, one person will be acting. And so like in this case is not threatening to them or their relationship. Feel like it would be fair for both sides to be sleeping with as many people as they want, whenever they want. But then there's other people who it's like, it's only going to work if it, it happens this way. So like, I think that in, in, in many ways, it's kind of a good thing that it's having that mutual respect for each other, that you're establishing those boundaries, as we talked about before, having that consent and putting up those, those rules and regulations in place before you get into doing something like that, as well as the fact that it's a business. So now you have to sign all these contractual things together and make sure that you don't, it doesn't affect the business side of it, your personal stuff. And so now their parents, they have a kid and they also have this very adult business that they have built for themselves. So now then the question also arises. So like, do you protect your kid from that? Like, when do you start having a conversation with your kid? If this is what I do, do you just wait till they find out on their own? Porn actors, porn performers as parents, adult in in the adult film industry as parents, it opens up a whole other series of challenges, which are really only challenges because like mainstream society kind of still stigmatizes it, I feel. But once again, it's something that is a reality and that if you're a parent in that industry, you would have to then say, okay, I got to prepare myself for that conversation that I'm going to have. But once again, you got to have that conversation as a couple first before you decide to do those sorts of things and like go about it the right way. Right. The whole thing that will end on it with this episode in terms of pop culture, right? Because it's like, where is porn really the issue in people in other areas of our society telling us that it's wrong is the only reason why we would consider it to be problematic in any way. While 
uh, some people might argue it as like pornification and that that's somehow negative. I kind of see it as normalization of sexuality. It's only a good thing. I think that normalizing people's sexual wants and needs is important. Obviously doing it in the right setting, there's like a time and a place, but, and I also feel like there's, again, as we talked about in the beginning of the episode, the people who are condemning it tend to be extremely hypocritical and also very clueless and don't really have all their information in terms of what they're talking about in terms of judging something based on it being overly sexualized or inappropriate for whoever. And it's usually them just trying to enforce their personal beliefs onto other people. And they're usually also either very sexually frustrated or they're doing the exact thing that they are telling other people not to do behind closed doors. And they always get exposed and it's always hilarious. I think that in terms of pop culture, I think the way that porn goes, I think that the type of things that go on in porn are reflect how we are as a society. Like why is MILF porn and teen porn and anal and all these other things still like the top searches on porn sites? Why is stepbrother, stepsister, all that weird shit, like not to, not to kink shame or whatever, but also to kink shame. Cause like that's weird and incest and like, basically like, sure they're not actually related but having sex with your stepmom or your stepdad is still fucking gross like that's still your parent like that's still your sibling like you no. so that's why i'm kind of like are some things going too far or does porn allow people to explore those things in a healthy environment so that they don't do it in real life or is it promoting those things to happen in real life are the reason those things are popular is because people are actually doing those things in real life. And that's what they like to see. But then it's like problematic because it's like, obviously, well, there's a teen category and the people that are acting in all those videos presumably are not actually teens, but like, are, is it because so many teenagers watch porn that they want to see teens or like, are we talking about adults? Like we need more information here. And then, of course, like, there's, like, other taboo things like threesomes, anal, for a lot of people, interracial is still taboo. There's cucking, the BDSM shit, the fetish shit. I think that porn making these things is more of in a response to people looking for that stuff rather than porn made people like that stuff. I feel, I very much feel like society is driving, like, the different things that happen in porn versus the other way around. And then like, especially with certain people releasing certain amateur things. And there was also like the rise in porn in terms of like animation, Japanese hentai porn is also very popular. And then just like animated videos in general of like fantasy creatures fucking each other. So the the things have evolved to, like, what people's social tastes are. People want to get fucked by monsters now. People want to get fucked by tentacles and dragon dicks. So that's a thing that we have to deal with as a, as a fetish now. Society is changing and in, in influencing porn and porn influencing society. Like, yes, it is, like, kind of a symbiotic relationship, but I feel like society's telling porn what to do more than porn's telling society what to do. Way more. 
And with that, I will say that I I look forward to seeing more uh, porn actors featured in mainstream media and mainstream publications and shows and things like that. I'm sure there are a lot of actors that I didn't mention that I missed. But as I mentioned in the posts leading up to this episode, to all the sex workers and adult film actors out there, directors, producers, thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for your service. This was a great episode to research. It may have taken a while for me to actually finally record this, not, well, partly because I was extremely busy and tired, but I also may have gotten caught up watching a lot of porn in the, in the research. It was for research. It was for science. Yeah, so that was a little distracting. That is, yeah, that's the tea. I hope that you all enjoyed. And as I'm feeling nice and comfortable now, uh, I I guess I'll prepare to go out for my nice dinner. Uh, I'm going to finish my beverage and my joint and get ready for that. Thank you all for coming to another episode. Thank you all for coming. Thank you all for jizzing all over my life. Thank you for the mutual masturbation and uh, I mean uh, mutual support. Please remember to like and subscribe on all social medias, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Patreon, YouTube, all the, all the social medias. So um, I'll be on there if, 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 there, if it's a, except for Twitter, fuck Twitter, but pretty much all the other ones I'm on. I really still need to get onto Twitch, like actually get onto Twitch eventually, but yeah, pretty much all the other ones I'm on at Chiquitita, at Fantasy Tavern Podcast. And once again, apologies for this episode coming out really late. I hope you had a very fantastic Valentine's Day, family day if you live in Canada slash Ontario, and a very great Black History Month. I am, I am high. (laughs) So I'm going to head out and take advantage of this to eat some munchies. Until next time, until the next episode. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet. I am, I'm drawing a blank currently for episode ideas, but I'm sure we will come up with one. And until next time, keep having that great sex. Keep doing what you love, doing who you love. And, you know, try to live with little judgments. Try to just be open-minded and compassionate when it comes to other people and just be free and liberated and, and, and have a good time in your sexual experience consensually at at the appropriate age. And if you want to on camera slash film. Okay. Thank you everybody and have a great evening and I will see you next time on the next episode of fantasy tavern. Take care. Bye.